This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson vill jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa I'm your host, Elon Dubrowski, and with me for a very big episode is my friend, my comrade, and the guy you all know is a fancy hockey robot, Brian Calm. Hello, Elon. Hello, everybody. So nice to be chatting with you. Like, I'm trying to soak up all the hockey as it happens, knowing we're about to go dry over the all-star break. Uh, but there's been some really fun and exciting hockey and some amazing hockey production player scoring trends that I just can't wait to get into on this week's episode of Keeping Carlson. Yeah, which one are you the most excited to get into, Brian? Which player? <laughs> I knew I knew you wouldn't be able to handle a curveball like that. <laughs> we'll get into it. Brian will let you know as he keeps going. He'll keep a running tally of who's exciting him the most. Before we get into it, let's of course mention that we are presented by DauberHockey.com, the top fantasy hockey website out there. Like articles off the wazoo. You can just go to the site and you'll see what we're talking about. Ramblings, yeah, rankings of all the different positions. Then you've got the frozen tools, which is a whole other schmamazzle. I don't I was trying to think of a funny Yiddish word there. It, it's a whole thing over there, including like just on the front page of Frozen Tools, you can get so much insight because they list every single team and who's hot and who's cold on every team. Are you kidding me? What a valuable tool to plan a fantasy hockey podcast episode and also to be successful in your league. So check it out, dabberhockey.com and Frozen Tools. Amazing. Okay, Brian, let's get started with some outjuries. We had some big names finally returning after being gone a while. And the biggest name, or maybe not the biggest name, but like the biggest surprise outjury is, of course, Vincent Trocek. Back on November 20th, he underwent surgery to repair a fractured ankle. That sounds pretty serious. It looked, the injury looked serious. But less than two months later, he's back and seems to be just as good as ever. He returned on Friday. He picked up an assist along with three shots and seven hits. In the Panthers 3-1 win over the Leafs, you, know, you always think that a player, when he's coming back from a serious injury, maybe will play a little guarded, maybe not be especially aggressive, but no, seven hits in his return, no big deal. Panthers played again yesterday, they won against Nashville, Trocek produced again, one goal, a power play assist, three shots, 18 face-off wins, if your league counts that, so he's helping you all across the board. This guy is a multi-cat stud, so, so valuable in fantasy. And you know what? The Panthers maybe could turn things around now that he's back. I don't know. They also got Nick Bjugstad back. He was out for over a month. He returned last week. 
He had a less flashy return, only one assist in four games so far. He has taken 14 shots, but it feels like uh, we got a whole new Panthers team heading into the All-Star break. And Brian, here's a little sneaky uh, take. I'll give you, I think that Roberto Luongo is going to have a better second half in the first half. And I think Trocek being back maybe will help with that. But okay, back to the Panthers forwards and specifically Trocek. Let's take a look at the lines with Trocek and Bjugstad back. Things have gotten really shaken up here. They've got Barkov playing with Dadanov and Frank Vitrano on the top line, Bjugstad with Hubert Doe and Trocek, and then poor Mike Hoffman all the way on line three with Borgstrom and Dennis Malgin, and then also they loaded up that top power play, Barkov, Dadnov, Hoffman, Hubert Doe, and Yandel, and then Trocek actually on the second power play with Vetrano, Bjorkstrom, McCann, and Aaron Ekblad. Okay, so that's a lot of names I've thrown at you, but the thing is, I don't really have any questions to ask about Vincent Trocek. I assume you're just going to say he's amazing, and not to worry about him not being on the top power play or anything, because this guy's a stud, and you'd be super lucky to have him on your team if you picked him up out of free agency somehow. You're a genius. Yeah, absolutely. And there were some teams I remember way back, and I'm sorry, Brett, I'm going to out you here. But on the on the patrons only Facebook group, I think it was Brett who had dropped Trocek, even though he had the IR space. It just like it seemed so awful, like the, the injury and it seemed impossible that Trocek was going to come back. And I'm actually interested in the postscript here to know if Brett got him back or how much fab he had to spend for him. I know I picked up Trocek in a separate league, in, in a different league where same thing. The owner saw how gruesome the injury was and all the talk about it and the way it was treated in the media. And it's like, that's it. Season's over. Even though they had the IR space, they're just like, I'm cutting ties with Vincent Trocek. I was lucky enough to, uh, I had 10 moves left on the season. I decided to roll the dice on Trocek a few weeks ago and say, oh, maybe, maybe he'll make it back. It'll be worth it. It'll be a lot harder to get any kind of value out of an ad than, than Vincent Trocek. I'm ready to take that risk and I'm pumped. It's paying off already. Go check your free agent wire in case he has been accidentally left there, which is unlikely after that first game back. Yeah, go tro check the free agent wire. I- I'm a brilliant genius. Okay, let's talk about a couple of these lesser known Panthers that might be available for you in your free agency. Uh, all across the top line, we've got some good guys scattered. So Frank Vitrano, top line with Barkov and uh, Dadanov, second power play with Trocek. He scored yesterday and he had six shots, actually. He has five points in his last six games. I feel like we're approaching must add, like must own territory for Frank Vitrano, right? Great spot. And he's producing. What more can you ask for? Absolutely. Go own Frank Vitrano. He's doing like he's filling categories even when he's not scoring, but he is scoring in a wonderful spot in the lineup. So, yeah, go get him. Okay, then Bjugstad, I brought up one assist in four games since coming back from injury. But hey, he's playing on the line with Hubert Doe and Trocek. So that's great for him. Uh, Henrik Borgstrom, he's been pretty quiet overall, but he assisted on Ekblad's power play goal along with Trocek. I'm just going to say Trocek with every player the whole episode, if that's okay. Yeah, so Borgstrom had an assist on that power play goal yesterday, playing with Mike Hoffman on the third line. So that's not so bad for him. All of these guys seem to be worth at least uh, watchlisting, if not owning at the moment, I would think. The Panthers play tomorrow and then not again until a week from Friday, though. So you might just want to wait a little bit or you get that stream just for tomorrow. Brian, what do you think overall about these guys or anyone that's jumping out of the page for you? Not really. I mean, Vitrano would be the guy to stream in from Florida, assuming Trocek's gone already, of course, just to continue adding Trocek's name into every player we talk about. Uh, Nick Bjugstad, good for getting shots uh, and maybe a couple hits in a game. Otherwise, the points don't really come easily for him these days, even though he has 14 shots over his last four. So if you're if your league values those, that's something worthwhile to try and attack a category and stream him in. Uh, Borgstrom's kind of the opposite. Like he'll get a point. Uh, you'd hope 
about every other game, but you can't really rely on him for shots. Uh, to wit, he has no shots in his last two games, but he does have a power play assist. So keep that in mind if you are thinking of adding Borgstrom. One Panther, Elon, who you haven't brought up, I'm going to go off script here and bring up Mike Hoffman who, uh, since Trocek's injury, had been playing primarily with Alex Barkov for a stretch, and then he started getting paired with Huberdeau. And I know you're like, Brett, where's, where's Mike Hoffman coming from? Like, why are you even talking about this guy? You said, any any Panthers catch your eye worth a stream? Well, Mike Hoffman has caught my eye for a different reason, because since about game 35 of the season, after playing the entire way with either Trocek or Huberdeau, Hoffman has been getting some mix of Borgstrom, Malgin, and Vitrano for pretty much every game uh, since the 35th game of the season. Now we're in the in the late 40s in the games played count. Uh, and in that time that he's with nobody, uh, no one in particular, nobody great in particular at even strength, Mike Hoffman has just six even strength points in his last 13 games, which actually... I, I need to be fair, it's not so far off his five-on-five production pace from the rest of the season when he was playing with better line mates, so that's good, uh, except to keep it that good, Hoffman has been scoring unsustainably in that stretch. He has seven goals on his last 34 shots, which comes out to a 20% shooting percentage. He's not a 20% shooter. He's a great shooter. Not 20%, though. One thing that's gone absent from Mike Hoffman's game recently, though, are the complementary power play points. He had 21 power play points through 39 games, and Hoffman now has no power play points in his last eight games. So when we look at uh, the way he's scoring recently over the last few weeks, and it's unimpressive, it's because those power play points have got have gone missing. So I'm actually in a place here where I'm caught between suggesting Mike Hoffman as a buy low opportunity or a sell high opportunity, Elon. And I'm hoping you can help sort this out. I'm not sure, like he's right on the fence between both. Because on one hand, Hoffman's still doing fine at even strength despite playing with weak line mates. And I imagine those power play points will come back. But on the other hand, uh, that's not quite enough what he's doing in five on five when the power play points aren't coming as fast and furious as they have been. And I think Hoffman may have scored a few more power play points already than he should have thanks to some very friendly power play on ice shooting percentages. So you got to look to your gut. If you own Mike Hoffman or if someone else owns Mike Hoffman in your league, which obviously one of those cases is going to be true. And you need to think if the power play points uh, that gave Mike Hoffman a 37 power play point pace were sustainable to the point that like, you don't care if he doesn't even get into the top six at five on five, or maybe you think that Hoffman's overperformed a bit and that you want to hedge and go get like a 70 plus point guy back for him. That's more likely to continue with both top six and top power play time. Like Hoffman has four points in his last seven, three goals on 15 shots. That means you might want to sell if you own him before people catch on to him being out of the top six, or you can buy low. If you think this is a rare window to buy low, like I'm inclined to sell on Hoffman thinking that he did overperform in the first half of the season by a little bit on the power play. And now he's stuck on the third line. That makes me want to sell uh, sell high on him. Uh, but others, Elon, do you see him as a buy low? I don't know, Brian. This is like kind of weird because I wasn't even planning on bringing up this guy. Now you like <laughs> are bringing him up to come up to no conclusion at the end. So I don't even know the point of all of this. But I mean, I don't think you could sell high on someone who's currently slumping. Generally, you sell high on someone on a hot streak. So, I mean, unless you're saying to sell like below the market value that he put up before, I, like, I don't even know what you're saying you could get for Mike Hoffman. I will say, though, that I wouldn't put too much stock into him playing on the third line in the last game. Like uh, the Panthers will probably shake things up again. They've got like a two weeks off right now to rethink about what to do now 
now that Trocek is back. So I wouldn't be too worried about the line combinations. He's still on the top power play. Uh, I so think right I now, Elon, he's been playing on the third line for like 12 games now. This is not just like a whimsical thing that he ended up there. Also, he's on a 73-point pace right now. So I guess what I'm saying is I wonder if he doesn't crack the top six, if he goes back to like the 65-ish point pace that we expected. So now would be a great time to sell him for somebody who can get 70 or more points, such as someone, uh, can I can I blow the name of someone we're going to mention later in the show? Go for it. Maybe you can get Evgeny Kuznetsov for Mike Hoffman. They're on like almost identical point paces, but I would much rather Evgeny Kuznetsov. Okay, well, there you go. And if the, obviously you've got the wing eligibility versus the center thing to worry about. But yeah, that's a good advice. And I appreciate that because, yeah, like, uh, I don't know if Hoffman's going to be fetching you such a high price now that you're saying he's slumping a little bit. I actually wanted to bring up another Panther who's slumping a bit uh, in Evgeny Dadanov. He only has five points in his last 15 games, even with consistent top line, top power play time with Barkov. I'm assuming if you're down on Hoffman, then are you also down on Dadanov, or do his underlying numbers suggest that maybe he should bounce back in a more favorable way? What I don't love about Dadanov is that he just has nine shots in his last seven games, and it's been eight games since Dadanov last had three shots on goal in a night, which is a long stretch for Dadanov. He's a guy who had averaged three shots per game uh, before sort of going cold lately. The thing is that Dadanov still has fantastic deployment, so I can't get too worried about it. And Florida as a whole has lost a couple shots per game on average over the last 10, as I feel like they're trying to figure things out, like they're finding themselves further away from a playoff spot than they thought they'd be at this point, trying to find out what's not working, probably making some small adjustments here and there, and I wonder if that has hurt Dadanov. They're going through something as a group, in Florida. So, uh, you know, you just have to think that this is just a result of them meandering through some incompetent uh, play and maybe more management issues. And that Dadanov is still in an excellent place to be able to bounce back once things even out again. Yeah, I'm on hashtag Team Dadanov. I think he'll be fine. Okay, let's go to another out jury now. Uh, it's been a frustrating stretch if you were a Colin Miller owner because there was no timetable and he was just day-to-day injured like forever. It felt like it ended up being over a month, but he finally returned to the Golden Knights yesterday in the blowout win over Pittsburgh after missing that month with an upper body injury. And just like Trocek, uh, Colin Miller also shined in his return. He put up two assists while being plus three. He also took the helm on one of Vegas's seemingly even power play units he was playing with marsh so william carlson peary and cody eakin the other power play unit by the way had stasny tuck patcheretti theodore and nate schmidt uh there's a good chance i think that colin miller was dropped in a lot of leagues i saw that he was dropped actually we have marcus's cupful percent ownership uh spreadsheet available which i always really appreciate so you know yahoo you could see what percentage of leagues a player is owned and then also marcus has taken our 16 couple divisions which are you know played by the elite fantasy players and listeners and supporters of our show and so yeah colin miller only 28 percent owned in yahoo but 93.75 percent owned in couple so all but one of the 16 teams so yeah anyways all that to say I think that you should go out there and find Colin Miller because this guy has been on like a 42-point pace for most of the season, which is pretty solid for a defenseman. That's the pace he put up last year. He's back helming a power play as the quarterback. I feel like uh, he's just going to keep it up, right? Yeah, we looked into Colin Miller a couple weeks back before he got injured and figured him to be able to hold steady uh, given the current deployment situation that he had. It's nice that he's walked essentially right back into that now that he's healthy. So I'm going to say, yeah, more of the same for Colin Miller. Expect him to get 40, 45 points and obviously on the higher end if he holds this top power play spot uh, for any substantial length of time. 
Yeah, and also, I don't know, this Vegas team, I just feel like they might be able to score some goals in the near future, like with Brandon Peary coming out of nowhere helping to score. Pacioretty's doing well. You know, Alex Tuck. Uh, you know, like all these players are doing really well, and that's always great to be a defenseman on the ice with all of this great talent. And uh, though there was one player who has been not doing so well lately on Vegas, and that's William Carlson. We actually had a tweet from at Gregory Newdorf asking... At Keeping Carlson, has William Carlson become a snoozer? How patient should one be? And so if you take a look, he actually had a goal and assist yesterday in that big win over Pittsburgh, but that was after a nine-game pointless streak. Obviously, Gregory tweeted at us before that game yesterday. Uh, we've long said that Carlson isn't the 40-plus goal, 75-plus point guy that he presented as last year, but surely he's better than the 52-point pace guy that he's shown us so far this season, right? Uh, Yeah, we thought he wouldn't quite be down this low. I'd still have William Carlson closer to 55 or 60 points. One thing that's hurt him is that his shooting role on the power play has decreased somewhat compared to last year. And you pair that with Carlson seeing his power play shooting percentage get cut in half, which we didn't see coming. Uh, Of course, his five-on-five shooting percentage has also been cut in half, which we did see coming. Uh, and that's why we're seeing William Carlson struggle to stay above 50 points. But Elon, like I did in Florida, you brought up a couple of players in Vegas. There's one player you've omitted so far that I think we really need to talk about and is a big reason why William Carlson is struggling. And that is Jonathan Marjusso. Do you know that Jonathan Marjusso, just barely a half point per game player over his last 28 games, seven goals, eight assists for 15 points in those 28 games Thankfully, Marcheseau is still holding at around three shots per game in that stretch, so he's not leaving his fantasy owners totally high and dry. But Marcheseau, you could even slice it this way. He had just four points in 14 games before getting that hat trick that he notched against Winnipeg on Saturday night. So things were looking really dire for him. Marcheseau has seen a much less expected drop in his five-on-five shooting percentage. Like William Carlson, we said, yeah, he's not going to be able to keep this up. Marge so, we're like, yeah, he can probably keep this up. And uh, he hasn't, which I don't think is fair to him. I think it'll bounce back. And Marge so also has a low IPP that is essentially salt in the wound. So he makes for a really, really great buy-low opportunity again. Uh, so if you can get Marge so out of his owner's hands, if you say, hey, Marge so like William Carlson totally overperformed last year, you know what, I'll give you like a 60-point player for him and we'll call it even. I would be all over making that deal. And when Marcheseau gets going again, that's when we'll see William Carlson rise back into the 55-60 point range himself. Okay, so what about in a battle of the Brian Surprise Players of the Week, would you trade Mike Hoffman for Jonathan Marcheseau? The difference between Marcheseau and Hoffman right now is that Marcheseau is more obviously struggling, right? 15 points in 28 games sounds awful, where if you go back 28 games for Hoffman, like he looks just fine, like near point per game. So if I have Hoffman, I am trading him for Marcheseau plus. That's what I'd like to get. Hey, okay, there you go. There's advice right there from Brian. If you have Mike Hoffman, try to get Marcheseau and a sweetener and you'll be happy. Or you could try to get... Uh, you said Evgeny Kuznetsov, who we'll get to in a bit. Kuznetsov, Brian's been playing on the third line. But we'll, we'll talk about him later because we're on out juries right now. I want to go to Pittsburgh. Uh, we The team that Vegas destroyed yesterday was the Pittsburgh Penguins. But at least they did get Patrick Hornquist back, who returned from his concussion. No points in his return, but he had five shots. He was on a line with Malkin and Kessel back on the top power play. So I have a feeling everything's going to be A-OK for Patrick Hornquist. Hopefully he's like feeling A-OK. He's got a nice long break now to continue recovering. Pittsburgh doesn't play at all next week. Just so everyone's aware, there's only Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday next week. And then we're off all the way until the following Monday. 
for the All-Star break. And there's a few teams who don't play at all. Pittsburgh is one of those teams that doesn't play all the way until the following week on, I think, the Monday. So, yeah, uh, Hornquist will have lots of time to recover, and you have lots of time to go grab him out of free agency if he was dropped when he was injured. Um, we had all new lines yesterday for the Penguins with Patrick Hornquist returning. Uh, Brian Rust and Tanner Pearson were both demoted to the bottom six. So if you were streaming either of those guys, you could probably let them go. Though at the same time, probably not worth putting too much stock into the lines because, like I said, it's going to be forever until the next game. There's probably like a 60% chance that the lines will change before the next game. Casey DeSmith had a really bad game yesterday, and he's actually led in four, four, and six goals in his last three games. Not out of the question to me, anyways, that he gets sent down to the minors. Like, Brian, would this be, is this a crazy take that I think Casey DeSmith, with the way he's been playing, Pittsburgh might want to send him down and try out Tristan Jari for a little bit, give him a shot at being the backup at some point? Uh, I'm curious to know, like, is that, I just came up with this. I didn't read this anywhere. So what do you think? It's not like a crazy take. The thing is that whoever's back up to Matt Murray is now in a position with Matt Murray playing so well. It's like you want your better goalie prospect to be getting more games in, in the minors at this point with how strongly Matt Murray has retaken hold of that number one position so far. So I don't know, Elon, like it's like, the way I see it, it's not really worth holding Matt Murray's backup at the moment. If you have DeSmith or Jari, there's not much reason to hold either of these guys more than it would be to hold someone like Louis Domingue, who you can stream in on a night that you know Vasilevsky's taking a break. Yeah, I agree. I was doing more just general hockey talk, actually. It's not no, no fantasy relevance to the <laughs> Pittsburgh backup right now. I just wanted to chat hockey with my bro. By the way, can you believe it was only like a month ago or so when we were talking about how Matt Murray owners should be really worried about DeSmith stealing starts? Like how quickly things change in goalie land this year. Murray has a sparkling 944 save percentage in nine games played over the past month. He's eight and one. Like you said, just amazing. Uh, also on Pittsburgh, just a quick heads up. Justin Schultz has started practicing. So we could be back sometime soon, maybe after the All-Star break. Is he worth watch listing in a league where you might need defense? He picked up four assists in four games before suffering that leg injury, which required surgery. Actually, much like Vincent Chocek, it's taken him a lot longer to get back. Not that you have to compare uh, recovery times, but yeah. Are you watching Justin Schultz and thinking of grabbing him uh, when he's healthy or stashing him now before he's ready? Hey, if you're in a league where Marcus Pedersen was rostered, the guy we mentioned last week who's been picking up some points on Pittsburgh's blue line lately, uh, if he he gets rostered in your league, then yeah, Justin Schultz could very well be rosterable in yours. Don't expect much. A 35-40 point pace would be great. Also, Elon, uh, you you mentioned Rustin Pearson, one guy who didn't get kicked out of the top six, Dominic Simone. If you streamed him in, as we suggested last week, you retreated uh, to a back-to-back point scoring performances, a goal and an assist on five shots on goal on the Friday and Saturday night games for Dominic Simone. Yeah, well, that's the thing with Pittsburgh, right? We recommended Simone and Tanner Pearson, who were both playing with Malkin. One of them scored big for you. One of them, I think, did nothing. I don't think Tanner Pearson did much from the bottom six. So, yeah, you're always rolling the dice. And Simone also got six hits. Wow, nine hits over the two games. Hey, so yeah, no, for sure. You don't don't rush to grab him now. But if before Pittsburgh's next game, you see that in the practice line, Simone is still playing with Crosby. Go for it. Why not? What do you have to lose? You're going to get a guy playing with Crosby. He's going to probably get you a point. Uh, let's go to our next outjury. Elias Pedersen returned this afternoon versus Detroit. And I actually prepped this show before, uh, you know, the game happened. But let's take a real-time look at how Pedersen did. I know he scored a goal, a goal and an assist. Look at that. Uh, Elias Pedersen, so, so good. And I know that he said that he wants people to call him Peterson, but I just don't want to. Like, I feel like I'll bet you most people listening are going to be like, why are they mispronouncing this guy's name? So I'm just going to say Elias Pedersen. I don't care. If we're going to call William Nilan 
Sir, then I think we have to carry that theme forward in pronouncing every Swedish player's name perfectly. Okay, well, for now I'm going to say Pedersen, uh, and I will point out that with him scoring and coming back, that obviously is good for a lot of people. I was expecting, actually, to be Sven Berchi, who's going to be the guy you want to grab in Vancouver, because before Pedersen got injured, it was a line of Berchi and Besser and Pedersen, which was, like, such a great spot for Sven Berchi, though that's not what happened today. It was actually Josh Levo who got to play with Besser and Pedersen, and Berchi was playing with Bo Horvat and Jake Vertanen. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. I guess the advice here is maybe you want to take a look at Josh Levo right now, who's in a really sweet spot. Yeah, you might as well. We always do. If it's uh, if it's Nikolai Goldobin or Sven Berchi or whoever ends up playing anywhere near Elias Pedersen, then uh, then that, that's a guy you want. He's a guy you want players who are being exposed to him. And right now that looks like it's Josh. How'd you say it, Elon? Levo? Levo. What, what do you want to say? Livo? No, Levo. Levo seems good. I was just wondering if it was live. Le- Levo? <laughs> maybe Levo. Uh, also, Berchi's on the top power play. So maybe there's a reason to grab him with Besser and Pedersen and Horvat and Alex Edler. So you could take your pick between the two. Uh, one other guy on Vancouver who is turning some heads is Thatcher Demko, who finally had a season debut on Friday versus Buffalo. And he's fantastic. He stopped 36 of 39 shots in a 4-3 win. Uh, Markstrom played today and he was really good against the Red Wings to get the win. Markstrom stopped 35 of 37 himself. So I guess Vancouver is in a nice spot where they have two decent enough goalies. Thatcher Demko is the upcoming rookie who's supposed to one day take over as the Canucks starter. Do you think moving forward for the rest of the year? Because remember, Andres Nilsson is gone. He's on the sense. If Demko is there to say, uh, do you think it's going to be like a 50-50 thing? Or do you think this is going to be the kind of thing where Markstrom just plays the large, large majority of the games and Demko just gets in like a typical, like, like you know, like how you said Louis Demang, you know, like similar to him. You might be jumping the gun here and thinking those are the only two options. It, it's, it can't be 50-50 or Demang, right? There's a lot of room in the middle. A 50-50 definitely seems unlikely to me at this point. You look at what Markstrom's done lately. Over the last month, he's 6-3-2 and two with a 9-20 save percentage over 11 games played. So it's not like there's a need for the Canucks to get Markstrom out of the net and try somebody else as soon as they can. Like This is Markstrom's best stretch of the season right now. If you remember earlier this season, we mentioned how incredibly impressively average Markstrom had been. But now he's playing decidedly above average and might actually be on one of his best stretches of his entire career. And then we have Thatcher Demko who came in, had a good start. That's great. But remember that he probably might have only gotten that start because it came on the first half of a back-to-back. So Markstrom wasn't going to play both those games. They needed to get Demko in there for one of them. So for that reason, I'm not seeing a huge opening for Demko to step in or a huge need for Demko to step in. It could end up being close to 50-50 by the end of the year if Demko plays average and Markstrom plays average, uh, but it shouldn't get there yet. So if you're looking to add Demko for games played, I'd need to see Markstrom cool off a little bit first before you start getting more than one start a week. Yeah, by the way, I think Alex in the chat room has just had the best comment of the season. He said, exercise, I say exercise caution with Demko. Like TLC says, Demko chasing waterfalls. 
Beautiful. Future episode title. Thank you, Alex. <laughs> or maybe today's title, though. I guess we don't really have much Thatcher Demko talk to back that up. Uh, you know, I guess just a lot of people are wondering, myself included, like a lot of these goalies we've picked up over the last little while, it's starting to look like they might not be worth holding anymore. Like Blackwood is back in the minors. Uh, Delia might get sent down. So anyways, we'll get to the, them in a little bit. But yeah, I'm trying to find the next diamond in the rough goalie. And you're saying it might not be Demko just because, like I said, Markstrom has actually been pretty good. By the way, while Pedersen has been injured, uh, Rasmus Dahlin has been on fire putting up six points in his last six games and you're like what do, what do those two things have to do with each other well, i'm just wondering if maybe dalene has climbed into the calder race maybe to compete with elias Pettersson. i know earlier in the year i was talking about like brady kachuk like forget it. he's long gone now Pedersen has of course been amazing he has 44 points in 39 games now but he's missed some time maybe he gets mcdavided uh just like he was you know didn't win the calder trophy because he missed too much time and i wonder if rasmus dalene could make a case because like dalene actually he's now up to a 44 point pace on the season and that's been climbing like i said the most points for a rookie defenseman since the new millennium uh is dion Phaneuf, who had 49 points for the flames in 2005 2006 do you think that rasmus dalin is currently on a 44 point pace we'd only have to get five point pace higher do you think that he can break 50 and give him the most points for a rookie d-man since 92 93 which is 25 years ago Wow, it's been so long, and that just reminds you how rare it is for a defenseman to come out as a rookie scoring like gangbusters, not even gangbusters, 45, 50 points is a big deal for a rookie defenseman to be able to manage, especially straight out of the entry draft like Darlene is doing, and that was where my hesitance came from towards wanting to draft him early on uh, in any format especially that wasn't a keeper in, in, in a one-year format because uh, it takes time to warm up to the NHL. But Darlene seems to have warmed up. He now has 12 points in his last 16 games. He started the year cold, and then he had another cold snap that lasted a fair while uh, also. In fact, I own him in the cupful, and I was like a click away from dropping him. I'm glad I didn't because even with those cold snaps, thanks to this recent production, Darlene is on that 44-point pace. And... Keep in mind, Darlene hadn't been getting top power play time the whole while, but has been seeing more than half his team's available blue line power play minutes for the last 15 games or so, including seeing 90% of Buffalo's four minutes of time on the man advantage on Friday night. Unfortunately, he got no points from that, but still, he was on the ice for like three minutes and 40 seconds of it. So that's just reason for me to like Rasmus Darlene even better the rest of the way than I have over the last, well, over the first half of the season i elon i'm on board with rasmus delin getting 50 points wow he's gonna do it it's not breaking a record but it'll be the first time in 25 years it's uh rookie d-man has done that there are actually three uh rookie defensemen since the year 2000 who have broken 45 points i, I mentioned one of them was dion Phaneuf. okay so there's three others uh so for the listeners at home or for brian who wants to try to guess well I guess brian's the only one on the call with me so i'm gonna ask you uh who are the other three defensemen who had more than 45 points in their rookie season aside from Dion Phaneuf since the year 2000. Okay so I was trying to think of like really strong scoring rookie defensemen in the early mid even like I guess late 2000s is where I'm gonna land in my answer but there weren't a whole lot as far as I remember so I'm I'm wondering Elon if I've forgotten a guy who you're you're gonna mention you're like oh that's awesome like forgot about him yeah he's so good I'm going with three Fairly recent rookies. Uh, so I'm going to go P.K. Subban, Eric Carlson, Shane Ghost, Despair. 
Okay. <laughs> Are my three guesses. Gosses Beher. Uh, so you're right with Gosses Beher. He had 46 points in 2015-16. Super impressive because he did that in 64 games. So he actually had a pace well above 50 points. But that's that's not the question. So Dalim could still beat him even if he doesn't get a higher pace than him. Okay, the two others you got wrong, Brian. Uh, let me give you a clue. One of them was Rookie of the Year in the year that he got his plus 45 points. Does that help? Um, no. He was on the same team that Rasmus Dalin is on now. Does that help? Uh, it really should, shouldn't it? Okay, I'm going to tell it you. It wasn't Ristolainen. No, it was Tyler Myers. Oh, Tyler Myers. Tyler wow. 40, yeah. 48 points in 2009-2010. And the last one, Brian, happened just two seasons ago. Uh, and it was on Columbus, so that should give it away. Who was? Oh, actually, I thought Zach Wierenski, but I thought he, like, I don't know. I didn't look up his numbers to check. I wanted to try and do this truly. I thought maybe he had, like, 44 points. What did yeah. he have, 47? Yeah, 47 in 78 oh, games. Oh, there you go. P.K. Subban was on a 40-point pace in his rookie season, by the way. Okay, last question. Who has the record for most points in their rookie season? You'll never guess. I'll just tell you. Well, maybe you could guess. He was still in the league in, like, I think when I was playing NHL 94, I think he was on the Penguins, but his rookie season was well before that in 1980-81. Paul Coffey? No, it might not have even been on the Penguins. Larry Murphy. Oh, Larry Murphy. Yeah, 76. The other one. 76 points in his rookie season. Wowza. Way to go, Larry. All right, so where are we here? Oh, yeah, I wanted to do an advertisement. Brian, why don't we, since I'm talking about rookie defensemen, the thing with rookie defensemen is that you can only see them in the rookie season for one year, and then they're <laughs> no longer rookie defensemen, and you want to see these guys. Like, go see Rasmus Dahlin before it's too late. Trust me, you'll thank me for advising you to do so. And if you want to go to see a Sabres game, either in Buffalo or a Sabres road game, why not use our friends over at SeatGeek? Because SeatGeek is the most convenient place to go and buy tickets online. You know how it is, Brian. There's hundreds of sites, varying levels of reliability. It's so hard to know who to trust. But trust us when we tell you to trust SeatGeek because they're the way to go. They pull millions of tickets into one place so you'll easily find the seats you want for a price you're willing to pay. There's nothing quite like being there in person. And SeatGeek will get you close to the action for great value. And aside from going to Sabres games... You can even just take out the app and take a look at what's going on in your city. They'll sort everything for you. So it's a really fun way to just, I, I do this actually kind of often. I'm sitting with my wife. What do I want to do tonight? I don't know. Let's check out what's going on in Toronto. I opened the SeatGeek app. Uh, Capitals versus Leafs is obviously a hot ticket coming to Toronto soon. I actually saw that this comedian, Sebastian Maniscalco is, or Maniscalco, uh, he's coming to Toronto soon. He's so funny, Brian. Have you heard his act about Passover? Definitely not. It kills me. He's like talking about how like Passover is fine, but like they we, they should get the Italians to cater Passover moving forward. And he's like crackers. Why are we? It's so funny. Anyways, he's coming on February second. Actually, it looks like he's going to Buffalo. Ooh, maybe I should do a weekend and go watch Rasmus Dalin and then see Sebastian Maniscalco. Okay. <laughs> Anyways, I'm gonna work this all out. But Brian, while I'm doing that, why don't you tell our listeners how they can even get a better deal on Seeking than what they'd see by just going to the site? Yeah, SeatGeek already offers you all the best deals, but if you want an even better one than the best, our listeners get $10 off their first SeatGeek purchase. All you need to do is download the SeatGeek app, enter the promo code KEEPING, try it today, that's promo code KEEPING, for $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. SeatGeek, life's an event, we have the tickets. I love that little grin you make whenever you say the slogan, you're so happy being a spokesperson for SeatGeek. I w- well, I just always think of how you're going to say they have the tickets right right after. I wasn't planning to this week. Oh. <laughs> I'm 
I'm just gonna let it go. It's a great, it's a great slogan. Almost as good as the slogan we came up with for them last year. Okay. Get a seat. Yeah. All right. So now we are still on outjuries. Let's go to the Ottawa Senators, who had a couple big names return last week. Thomas Shabbat back from a shoulder injury on Wednesday after missing eight games. And then Craig Anderson returned yesterday versus the Blues from his concussion. Shabbat got an assist in his return, but then nothing in the next two games. Uh, and he's finally now fallen below a point per game for the first time this season, aside from whatever that stretch was in the first game before he got his first point of the season. Still, Shabbat is back to being a nice-looking top power play with Stone, Duchesne, and the surging Bobby Ryan and Ryan Dezingle. On the other hand, uh, Stone and Duchesne are both unrestricted free agents at the end of the season, and I feel like the sense would be crazy not to trade them, right? Or unless they could sign them. Uh all that to say, what is Shabbat's value right now? Like to you, like in a one-year league, of course, and keeper league is a whole other story, but in a one-year league, like are we trying to sell Thomas Shabbat right now before he continues to fall below a point per game pace? Like if we could get someone like John Carlson or John Klingberg or Chris Letang, do we take that in a second? Uh, or like, is he not even in the same league as those guys in your opinion? Yes. Like, he's on similar point pace. I'm interrupting because you asked the question and I did, it just needs a, a firm, clear answer. Absolutely. If you can sell Shabbat for, who did you say? Klingberg, Latang, John Carlson? Yes, please. Anybody who you think is a lock to get more than a 60-point pace the rest of the season, those guys certainly fit the bill. Uh, go for it now. Okay. Well, I'm just saying because, you know, John, uh, Thomas Shabbat has more points than these guys are a better point pace. Like, I guess uh, John Carlson, 45 points in 47 games. Maybe the most disappointing one on that list is John Klingberg. I'm just, like, scrolling and scrolling did he miss time? Why is he so far from the top yes, of the list? Remember, Haskinen was in there for oh, yeah. a while. Yeah. Still, okay. So we've got 25 points in 30 minutes. So he's doing pretty well himself. So yeah, try to sell Shabbat if you can. But you know, what you're saying 60 point pay. So obviously you're not going to give him away for nothing. But maybe if you get one of these top guys, which probably you're saying you won't be able to. So forget it. Uh, in general, though, do you agree with me about this concern that the Sens are going to, you know, get rid of their two top star forwards and that's going to really hurt Thomas Shabbat? That would be my big concern if I was a Shabbat owner right now. The reason that power play ticks is in part due to Thomas Shabbat, but it's absolutely because of Matt Duchesne and Mark Stone. And you take either one of those guys out of that equation and the four players defending on the other team have one less guy that they really need to pay attention to. So yeah, it would be concerning for Thomas Shabbat's point scoring abilities if either of the two big guns up front for Ottawa were sent packing. Yeah, but who knows? Maybe the Sens are going to be weird and just like let them go and be unrestricted free agents. I'm sure that wouldn't be the craziest thing that's happened in the, for that team over the past year. Uh, Craig Anderson, like I said, he came back as well. He was great in his return yesterday in the 3-2 loss to uh, Bennington and the Blues. Uh, Anderson stopped 35 of 38. And if you ask Craig Anderson, he would say, dude, I only let in two goals, not three goals. That's third goal shouldn't have even counted he thought he had it covered and then it like got poked in he was very unhappy it's a it's always a fun clip to see goalies being mad i don't know for some reason that makes me happy uh i guess i'm a bad person uh so now the question becomes of course brian do we have a goalie controversy in ottawa because anders nilsson has vastly exceeded my expectations i don't even know why i have expectations about goalies anymore they're all they're always wrong no one can predict goalies i was so sure that nilsson was going to be a train wreck in ottawa especially while shabbat was injured but no on the sense he's four and three with a 931 save percentage. That's that's crazy. Compare on the Canucks before he got to Ottawa, Nilsson was three, eight, and one with an 895 save percentage on what I thought was a better Canucks team. Ugh. So anyway, Brian, what do we do now? Are we looking at a timeshare for the next while until someone falters? Or does this go back to being Anderson's net the majority of the time, kind of like it was when McKenna was the backup? Or maybe like will this all be moot in less than a month and Craig Anderson will get traded? Like, what do you think is gonna happen in the Ottawa net? 
I think it's absolutely Craig Anderson's net. I think that uh, because Nilsson has played well, he might get more starts than anybody else was getting in Ottawa. Remember the Sens were trying to, to make it work for Mike Condon earlier this season, so maybe they'll try and make it work with Anders Nilsson instead and give him the starts that they decided Mike Condon couldn't handle. But Craig Anderson is unquestionably the better goalie between he and Nilsson. So as long as Anderson is adequately recovered from his injury, I expect him to get the lion's share of the starts going forward. But as you sort of alluded to, I'd also think the Sens would be happy to deal Craig Anderson and his contract before the deadline. And they're enabled to do that uh, because of Anders Nilsson and he'll get the net back. If that happens, it's total speculation though. And keep in mind, if you're holding Nielsen or expecting him to get more starts because of an Anderson trade, whichever team wants Craig Anderson this year is also going to need to find a way to convince themselves they want him next year or convince somebody else that they want him next year because Anderson carries a price tag just under $5 million for one more season after this one that likely narrows the available trade market and the chances for Ottawa to actually get a deal done. So hold your horses if you're expecting Craig Anderson to get traded and Nielsen to step in. Okay, so yeah, it's tricky always to start speculating on who's going to get traded, and I wouldn't be making my fantasy decisions based on that, but maybe it's worth holding on to Nilsson for a little while just to see kind of how things shake out since he's been doing so well, if it's the type of league where it's so deep for goalies. And by the way, speaking of potential goalie controversies and speaking of outjuries, looks like a couple will be brewing soon in Chicago and New Jersey as both Corey Crawford and Corey Schneider have been practicing with their respective teams. Uh, Brian, here's a fun pop quiz for you. Which of the Corys, of Corey Crawford and Corey Schneider, which of them spells their name with an E? I don't know if this is interesting or not. Crawford. You got it. Nailed it. So I I write it often enough in the episode summaries that I've nailed it by now. The one guy I can't, though, there's a Connor. Oh, Connor Garland. There's someone who I can't remember. It's one N or two. Sherry. I think he goes two. Yeah, Connor Sherry has one N, I think. Uh. I would be awesome in a spelling bee of NHL players, actually, because of all this show prep and writing on Facebook all the time. But yeah, so uh, let's talk about both of these guys, Crawford and Schneider. In both cases, it's been a youngster who was called up from the minors when the guy got injured and in their absence took the majority of the starts over the supposed backup. So in Chicago, Colin Delia has like clearly outperformed Cam Ward. Actually, Delia played today and Chicago won eight to five over Washington, a crazy game. So Delia got the win, maybe didn't play amazing, but good enough to win. And uh, in New Jersey, Mackenzie Blackwood has been getting more starts than Keith Kincaid and has been like so much better than Kincaid was though. Actually, Blackwood has been sent to the minors now, though it might just be like a thing over the all-star break, but Corey Schneider was actually activated from the IR and he's going to the minors as well for a short stint before he comes back. So it's kind of like hard to know what's going to happen to guy to Delia and Blackwood once Crawford and Schneider come back. Like these were guys that people added myself, including the couple I've dropped them both. Now uh, they helped me so much. I was thinking, Ooh, maybe I have two starters for the rest of the season. Now it's looking like maybe they won't even be in the NHL. So uh, what do you think is going to happen in these two situations? Like Brian, like the thing is, I know that you have no way to know. It's kind of like I feel it's a nice situation for me to be in where I just get to ask the questions because I'm like, is it time to give up on Delia and or Blackwood? Is there any chance that Ward or Kincaid get waived so those guys can stay? Are Schneider or Crawford going to be worth owning in their own rights once they're back? Like there's so many questions that I know you don't have the answer to, but I'd love for you to try. Okay, I'm going to try. So if Cam uh, Cam Crawford, if Corey Crawford comes back, do you know that the Blackhawks have three goalies whose names start with C? We're dropping so many fun facts on people this episode. <laughs> okay, so if Corey Crawford comes back, uh, then Colin Delia, 
I mean, why not have him play in the minors instead? Because uh, how many starts is the backup really going to get if you've got Corey Crawford uh, available to tend Schwein more often than not? And if you're Chicago, uh, wouldn't you rather throw Cam Ward in there on the nights you want to rest Crawford to get a, a bit of a better chance at a tank-motivated loss? Uh, because I think that should be what Chicago's priority is down the stretch, not winning games uh, or not going so far out of their way to win games. Let Delia get some games for the future. Keep playing in the minors. Let Cam Ward blow a few games to help their odds in the lottery and let Corey Crawford continue to handle the majority of the team starts because, well, you pay him a lot to do it. By the way, Elon, fun fact, we're dropping all kinds of trivia. Do you know where Colin Delia is from? Uh, why would I know that? <laughs> well, you might know it if you've ever looked it up. He's from Rancho Cucamonga. Ooh. Yeah, that's I right don't... up there with Phoenix Copley's birthplace of the North Pole in Alaska. But Rancho Cucamonga is in the Southwest U.S. in California. Did you know also that Cucamonga comes from the Native American word uh, Cucamonga, which means sandy place? Right. I know all about Rancho Cucamonga. I actually watch a TV show where uh, Anders Lee, Blake Como, and Adam Larson, they're all from Rancho Cucamonga as well. Did you know is that? that? Is that a joke I don't get? Are you making a reference? Is, is this Entourage? It's always Entourage. No, it's not Entourage. It's uh, the work- it crowd. Workaholics. Oh. Oh, yeah. Same thing. Those shows are all the same. Don't compare Workaholics to Entourage, Brian. That's insulting and rude. Workaholics is an amazing show. You love Entourage, too. I did when I was younger. Now I've grown (laughs) to see that it was a bit like, you know, whatever. Not appropriate in some cases. Oh, I see. I didn't didn't really watch it. So Um, (laughs) anyway, back to Rancho Cucamonga. It was ranked 42nd by Money Magazine on their best places to live list in 2006. Brian, I thought you had a kid. Like, don't you need to get back to your kid at some point? (laughs) Eventually. Okay. So uh, what are we talking about? Is Crawford worth owning? All, all of them, Crawford and Corey Schneider. I just wanted okay. to get your takes on the goal. Yeah, I think you answered for Chicago. Oh, you haven't answered. Like, what about Corey Crawford? He was terrible yeah, so- before he got injured. Is he going to continue to be terrible? Corey Crawford is worth owning for the same reasons that you wanted to own Delia over the last couple of weeks. Like Crawford's going to face a ton of shots that might help you in your format. Uh, Crawford can hopefully stop at least 90% of them. Uh, just keep in mind, he's also going to be losing most of the games he plays along the way. As for the situation in New Jersey, it's a bit harder to read with Mackenzie Blackwood because uh, Keith Kincaid really stinks, and so does Corey Schneider. So it's not like in Chicago where you've got Crawford being like, yeah, of course he's the starter. Uh, In New Jersey, it's like, well, why not Blackwood? But also let's remember that New Jersey also not doing any of their goalies' favors this year. Uh, They are ranked just ahead of Ottawa in expected goals against per 60 minutes at even strength, which means that the Devils rank 26th in the league in their defensive coverage, according to expected goals. They're a bottom 10 team and shot against per 60 minutes. So no Devils goalie is really getting much protection, though I'm still not sure Kincaid and Schneider would be performing any better, even with average defensive play in front of them. Blackwood, on the other hand, he's the only New Jersey Devils goalie this year to be posting a five-on-five save percentage above expectation. That's worth something. Uh, We'll see how much it's worth, though, once Schneider returns, because Blackwood is the only Devils goalie who can go to the AHL without having to pass through waivers. Uh, So where does this all leave us? It's a really 
tough picture to figure out to know if the Devils are willing to wave Kincaid to keep Blackwood up. Uh, I think Blackwood probably gives them the best chance to win night out, night in, night out, out of their goalie trio. I imagine it won't be so hard to keep him in the NHL, though, once Corey Schneider gets re-injured in his third game back. Oh, sad. I mean, he's not Mikhail Neuwirth. Like, he'll just be <laughs> terrible. He'll, he'll just play badly. I gave him three games, though. That's fair. That's true. Neuwirth usually takes only two. Three uh, periods. Okay. Uh, one more out jury. Frederick Anderson finally returned to the Leafs last week, and he's been solid, as usual. Uh, he stopped 36 of 38 in the big 4-2 win over Tampa on Thursday. He's playing today against Arizona. Man, Coyotes. They're good. They're good now. Uh, and Frederick Anderson is losing 2-1. to one. But uh, whatever. Okay. Frederick Anderson's fine. I don't want to talk about Frederick Anderson. This is a gateway player to talk about some actually uh, somewhat relevant fantasy players. Because Frederick Anderson is, of course, owned in your leagues and you probably want to hold on to him. But, you know, the Leafs, actually, if they lose today, that mean, that will mean they only have one win in their last five games. And so, yeah, they seem to be in kind of a rut. And this has led to some line shuffling as on Friday versus Florida, Austin Matthews was playing with Andreas Janssen and Connor Brown while Tavares was with Marner and Hyman. And then uh, the third line was Kaji with Kapanen in Marlowe, and that means I know people are listening being like wait you forgot about a key player but no Willie Nylander was there but he was playing on the fourth line with Par Lindholm and Frederick Goche so that was Friday let me bring up the real-time line combos from Frozen Pool here and uh get an update let's see what they're doing today so Hyman Marner Tavares Brown Johansson or Janssen and Austin Matthews yeah same same as what it says so Nylander once again on the fourth line Though it looks like he got a point today. So what do you know? Yeah, Travis Dermott from Frederick Goche and William Nylander. So he got a second assist on a goal by a defenseman playing on the fourth line. Hey, that's what you got to do to impress your coach to maybe get back into the fold. But man, at this point, it's before today was 19 games with only three points. So I guess that's now 20 games with four points. If you owned Nylander, Brian, in like the cupful, how much longer would you be holding on to him? Or would you be thinking of dropping him? Everything still looks right for William Nylander, except for everything. And by that, I mean that Nylander's shooting and scoring chance rates are actually better than they were last year at five on five. So that's what I mean when everything looks right for him. But Nylander's down two and a half minutes of ice per night compared to last season. And we're not even seeing a clear upward trend or anything at this point. So that is how something doesn't look right for Nylander. He actually played a season low, 12 minutes and 15 seconds on Friday night, like his most recent game going into the game he's playing right now as he records. Like, I have no idea what's up with that. And Nylander's shooting percentage is 3%. His five-on-five on-ice shooting percentage is 5%. And his all-situations IPP is 38%. If you've listened to the show for any length of time, you would be able to instantly notice that all of those numbers are very not right. William Nylander is just getting wrecked by all the hockey gods, including Mike Babcock. He's still a very good hockey player, though. Just a matter of when Nylander is going to get a real chance to prove it. And that only Babcock knows. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> only Babcock knows. That's what I'm going to say from now on. But uh, yeah, from the fourth line, it's just so hard. Like You didn't answer. Would you still hold him in your cupful team? Or Man. if he was maybe the better question, because now you can actually put yourself in the situation. If he was dropped tomorrow, are you blowing some fab to get him on your team while he's on the fourth line? Would I trade Mike Hoffman for him? <laughs> no, I wouldn't. Uh, but if he also was available, I don't know. I don't know how much fab I'd blow because it's all about how much he's valued by everybody else. I want to be the first one to grab him because I believe that he's a very strong offensive player and he just needs the chance. I just don't know when he's going to get the chance. So yeah, if I'm feeling comfortable in the standings and Are like you? I can burn a... 
Uh, right. Not in the cacupful, no. So that's my question. I know your situation in the cacupful. You need to okay. win now. Would you add him if he was dropped right now? No. Damn. There you go. That's the answer that you need to hear. Yeah. Maybe, obviously, we all agree. At some point, he could be good. Like, he's shown us in previous seasons. He has the potential to be good. So has Shane Gossespeher. But uh, as of now, Brian says he would not add William Nylander. And yeah, it's tough. I, I, I'm i so impatient. Like, if Brian wouldn't add him, you know I wouldn't. Because I just can't take a fourth liner. <laughs> and then you'll see me, like, crying in two months when my opponent has Nylander and I get crushed in the playoffs. But I mean, I'm I'm the guy who's also added Andres Janssen, who, by the way, uh, tonight got a concussion, which is very unfortunate. Or Kasperi happening in the hopes that one of them would stay in the top six like I've made speculative Leafs ads this year and I just I still don't get the sense but I knew they were going to be playing in the top six I just didn't know for how long Nylander I have no idea no idea when that's going to happen as I've probably made very clear a few times as we've talked about him yeah well actually Brian uh, I wish you would have mentioned that because I didn't know about this Andreas Janssen injury I guess that's an opening for Nylander to get back in the top six in the near future so maybe next week we'll be seeing him playing with Matthews and uh, we'll go from there uh, by the way also that's- on Toronto uh, Morgan Riley only four assists in his last 10 games that's before today so it's looking like it might be four assists in 11 games currently at 48 points in 47 games going into today if he gets no points that'll bring him to 48 points in 48 games how soon before he pulls a Shabbat and falls under a point per game and potentially stays there like should Morgan Riley owners be worried and trying to trade him for the same guys that I mentioned before your uh, John Carlson's and John Klingberg's of the world of Chris Latang's so- I think I also would. Maybe Latang, I'd be a little more skittish about because of injury history, although I, I'm not even going to say it. I'm not even saying it. I'm just going to keep talking about Morgan Riley, uh, who we're seeing expected regression from over the last little while in both his 5-on-5 five five IPP and his 5-on-5 five five shooting percentage. To date, Morgan Riley has scored 10 times on 97 5-on-5 five five shots on goal. That's pretty far out of line with Riley's usual five-on-five shooting percentage, which would have seen him score like seven fewer goals. He's a 3% shooter at five-on-five, not a 10% shooter over the course of his career. Uh, Riley's five-on-five IPP has also fallen, as I said, and it should have. Like, it's down below 50% now. Likely still has a little bit more to regress. Um, It shouldn't be above 45% the rest of the way. So that's going to cost him some points as well. The nice thing, though, about Morgan Riley is that his 14 power play points in 48 games look perfectly sustainable, which means he should continue to pace for the mid-20s with the man advantage. And in that case, doesn't need to be heroic at even strength to still be valuable to your fantasy team. Riley is not a point-per-game defenseman, but I still think a 60-point pace is probably pretty reasonable rest of the season. And I know that's hard to hear from anyone who's like, but he's a point-per-game now. I just don't see it playing out that way the whole rest of the way. Like, I'll go even as high as saying 65, 70-point pace, doable. I could see that. I'd have a hard time expecting expecting him to repeat his first half in the second half. Well, hey. You know what? 65-point pace rest of the season still will give him over 70 points, and he will be like a stud guy getting drafted really high next year. And Brian will be saying over the summer when we record our second annual Almanac, I actually think he's going to be closer to a 60-65-point guy like he was for the second half of the season. Or no, that's actually more of the thing I would say. Then you'd be like, Elon, stop only looking at the second half of the season. we got to look at... Anyway, okay, I'm getting ahead of myself here. By the way... um, My my pre-Almanac advice is going to be for Morgan Riley, draft and trade. 
Draft okay. him early, sell him to a Leafs fan. Ooh, especially because the Leafs always come out so strong for like the first couple games of the season. Like Austin Matthews is going to score four goals in the first game of the year. Morgan Riley is going to get like three points. Trade him like after the first game of the season and you'll get a huge uh, you know, return for him. By the way, I also spoke too soon when I said that the Leafs were losing two to one. It's now three to two. Like, there's already <laughs> been two goals since we started talking about them. So who knows how this game... I shouldn't have said that uh, they're for sure going to go to one win in their last five games maybe they'll win who knows it's very i love the the live game updates on games that have been over for at least 24 hours by the time most people hear this but you know what brian i don't care about those people i care about the people watching us live that want to get the full live experience this is the bonus of what you get when you join us at keepingcarlson.com slash live every week to help power this show through it's you're the lifeblood of the show live viewers thank you okay Next, let's go to some injuries aside from Andreas Janssen, who I just learned about. Hopefully that's not serious. Uh, another guy who has a concussion is Tuka Rask. Very sad. Uh, he got bowled over by Philip Heedle when he scored a goal yesterday. And I guess we don't really know how serious this injury is going to be. Like, you know how it is with concussions, right? Like Patrick Hornfist came back in a week or so. Uh, other players have been gone for months. So we'll have to just wait and see what the severity is of this injury to Tuka Rask. The nice thing, at least for Boston and for him, is like Boston doesn't play until a week from next Tuesday. So they have a nice long break for Rask to relax. And then, you know, they'll probably wait until after the All-Star break and then see how he's feeling. Hopefully he'll be fine. Uh, In the meantime, Yaroslav Halak has got to be worth grabbing, I'd imagine, if he's been dropped. Like, unfortunately, you kind of have to take on this guy who's not going to play any games for you for over a week. But it might be worth it because there is that small chance that Tuka Rask could be out long term. Uh, Yaroslav Halak also might be available to you to add because he's been pretty terrible lately. He only has a 902 save percentage in his last 13 games over the past couple of months after that amazing start. And if you zoom in even closer to just over the last month, I'm seeing an 875 save percentage in his last six starts. Do you got any like PDO Corsi or any underlying numbers to indicate that it's just been bad luck lately for Halak? Like he's the guy who you called to be better than his number showed last year on the Islanders. And you were looking so smart at the start of the year. Right now he's getting dropped all over. Now I feel like he's a must add just because if you're a starting goalie on Boston, you're going to want to have that guy. But can he improve? Has he just been having bad luck like I asked? Or is there something seriously wrong with Yaroslav Halak's game right now? So I was actually looking at some comparisons between Tuka Rask and Yaroslav Halak this season. Uh, they were coming from Cole Anderson, who's on Twitter, at Crowd Scout Sports, but spell sports without an O. So at Crowd Scout Sports. And uh, his charts were very helpful, very nice visuals, and very informative. And they showed that Rask is well, Rask is doing really well this year. And uh, further to that, uh, if you look at how Rask has been doing in the last several years, uh, this is the best Tuka Rask has performed in a while. If you look at the whole season, Halak has still been the better goalie. But at this moment, we're seeing Rask go from like a really slow start to like skyrocketing up, whereas Halak started very strong and is now like petering out towards average. So it looks like a more different story than it actually is because of the change in where each was and where they, where where they've landed now. Um, and if you wonder why Tuka Rask is doing better this season, uh, the theory could be like Tuka Rask is getting rest more than he has in the past. He's getting pushed more than he has in the past. I'm still very confident though in Yaroslav Halak's abilities in net. So yeah, I'm going to write off this, this cold stretch is just that a cold stretch that he can snap out of. Um, it's unfortunate. Well, sorry. It's not unfortunate. I hope Tukaras gets right. It gets, gets healthy very soon and he's not hurt seriously. Um, but Halak owners, you know, 
normally you'd be able to say, well, maybe I'll get a week or two of starts out of Halak. But with the All-Star break coming up, it might be a, a few weeks, really, uh, of time, which is only going to be like a week of hockey time. So you might not get a whole lot of starts out of Halak. So consider that if you're looking to rush to add Halak out of free agency. Okay, yeah, and uh, I guess I'll agree with you. Let's give Halak the benefit of the doubt and see how he does if he gets an extended stretch as the starter with Rask injured. Uh, since we're on Boston, Brian, is Charlie McAvoy a snoozer in one-year leagues at this point? He only has one assist in his last six games. He's actually played five games since missing a few weeks, and yeah, one assist in that stretch. Only eight shots on goal in his past six games as well, so he doesn't shoot a lot. He's still at 12 points in 22 games overall on the season. That's a 45-point pace, but obviously that's very top-heavy. He got a lot of points at the start, but you know me, Brian, when I I play fantasy. I'm the type of player who I get impatient sometimes. I'm, I tend to drop a player when he's cold. I don't actually have McAvoy in any of my leagues, but I think it would be hard for me not to drop him if I did. Like I, I dropped Cam Fowler recently because of his cold stretch. So yeah, what do you think about Charlie McAvoy at this point? In one-year leagues, can people safely drop him, or do you think that he's going to be able to stick to this 45-point pace that he's on overall? McAvoy could probably stick on that pace, but do you still want him in your fantasy league? Like he's a fringe own in so many formats, only in a league that's really deep on defensemen. Do you really need to think about committing to Charlie McAvoy? Like him, 45 points, I think is probably a little high. Maybe he's closer to 40 points. Uh, But even if he gets those 40 points for you, McAvoy does literally nothing else, which is not nice for your fantasy lineup. I'd rather roster a 35 point guy who fills a few categories than McAvoy who like get, may, might get you a point every other game. Uh, but aside from that leaves you high and dry with zeros essentially across from across the board. Sometimes he feels like throwing five hits in a game, but those games are few and far between. Um, so yeah, one point every other game with no peripherals, not a great performance. So not someone I like to add in fantasy, which makes him uh I doubt a very fan, a very valuable fantasy option for most people, even if he does clear 40 points. Okay, but what, I, what I'm curious about, though, is this 45-point pace. Let's say you're in a points-only league. Like, I'm more curious to know if you think that this cold streak that he's on right now, is that, gonna, is that the real Charlie McAvoy? Or is he, like, you know, like, was he just super hot at the beginning of the season? Because really, it's hard for me to imagine that he's going to be able to get that many points when, you know, uh, Krug gets the majority of the big minutes, especially on the power play with those top guys. But at the same time, this Boston team is able to score some goals. Sounds like you're saying you still think McAvoy is like a 40, 45 point guy. You're just saying that you don't like his peripherals in general. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. We don't have a whole lot to go on. He had 40, he had a 42 point pace in his rookie season. Right now he's currently on a 45 point pace. So it feels right. I don't see anything crazy about, you know, his run. Like he had a three point game, Uh, right at the start of the season, which was able to tide him over for like 15 games in terms of points scored. Um, But yeah, I don't see anything crazy sustain like unsustainable about either the cold run or the hot run. A a, a low to mid forties producer is what I think Charlie McAvoy can be. Hmm. I don't know. I kind of think he's lower to be honest. I would, I, I think he's gonna be like 35 point pace rest of the season. That's, that's my best case. Okay. So I agree because he he takes so few shots and he gets so little power play opportunity. So it's crazy to think he can clear 40 points. It's just, he's paced to clear 40 points over 85 NHL career games. So I just, I don't have a lot to go on to say he's not going to do it. He's not just going to keep doing that. Yeah, that's fair, but yeah. Okay, let's move on. We're both saying to drop him, basically, in most leagues. Uh, Andre Kasha's right arm is currently in a sling after he was hurt in Thursday's game versus Minnesota. 
course, I don't know if it's currently in a sling. Maybe he's napping or something. But that's the situation with Andre Kasha right now, which is really tough. Like, he's had such a tough start to his career with injuries, unfortunately. Like, he's having a great season, 20 points in 30 games on a Ducks team that doesn't even score much. But now we'll have to wait and watch the clock go tick-tock while we wait for Kesha. I mean, Kasha's return. Uh, in the meantime, the Ducks have shaken up their roster quite a bit. They sent Pontus Aberg. I think it's Aberg, actually. They sent Pontus Aberg to the Wild. Uh, they traded Andrew Cogliano to Dallas for Devin Shore. They acquired Michael Delzato from the Canucks. Uh, they got Derek Grant back from the Penguins for Joseph Blandesey. Uh, they called up Troy Terry. So we've got a brand new Ducks team that we've been looking at lately. Uh, they played today against the Islanders, got shut out. So they just the scoring woes continue for the Anaheim Ducks. I could take a quick look here at their line combos from the game today. Looks like they had Ryan Getzlaff on the line with Sam Carrick and Nick Ritchie, and then Ricard Raquel with Devin Shore and Adam Henrique. And oh my gosh, things are wonky. And who knows if this will last because they got shut out. So that probably just means that they're going to shake it all up for the next game. So I don't even know how valuable this is, but that's a bummer if you're a Raquel owner that Getzlaff and Raquel have been split up. Uh, Trey Terry got a point at some point. Uh, he's playing on the line with Derek Grant. Like, I don't know. What do you think right now, Brian, about the Ducks and all these new players? Like, is there anyone that's sticking out to you? that's worth owning like aside from gets off and Raquel at this point. Well, the one guy I will mention is Devin Shore, who's seen some time alongside Getzlaff and Raquel on the top line. He was recently acquired from Dallas. And uh, I just don't know if Devin Shore is even worth owning in that position, but he's the guy I, I think I'd take a chance on and stream in. If I saw the ducks with a nice schedule as I think they had this weekend, I think they played Saturday, Sunday, and I haven't checked in to see how Devin Shore has done yet. But uh, he didn't make the most of opportunities to play with Ben and Sagan in Dallas. So I'm not really expecting him to be able to do the same in Anaheim, even with top billing. Yeah, like, I don't know, Devin Shore. Like, it's so hard to say. Like, uh, there's Sprong also still in the picture. He might not have played today. I'm not seeing him in the line combos on Dauber's site. Uh, Nick Ritchie also was on a bit of a run. And he, so maybe it was like Sprong on a line with, oh no, I said Ritchie was playing with Getzlaff. Uh, I don't know. This team, they've got to figure some things out because I'll tell you one thing. I know that Devin Shore didn't get a point today because they got shut out again. And another guy who didn't get a point today is Cam Fowler, who's now pointless in eight games since returning. I mean, he's on the top power play, but do you think he's still worth holding? Like I said, I gave up on him. I dropped him. I had Colin Miller coming out of IR, and obviously he's uh, the guy who excites me a lot more at this point. But what do you think about Camp Fowler? Obviously, he's not going to get zero points the rest of the way. But we were saying last week that we thought he could go on a 40-point pace, or you said that. I think I was a little bit skeptical. Now I'm even more skeptical, but do you still think that? I still think Camp Fowler is going to be okay but it's hard to believe, especially when he only has three shots in his last four games. I would be very impatient if I owned him. I'd be like really itchy wanting to drop him. I wasn't expecting to be here. I actually owned Cam Fowler as of 10 days ago, and he was just coming back from injury, and I traded him. He he was, I have a very weak decor on my cupful team, and I considered him my best defenseman, and I traded him just to complete a deal, and uh, I'm not feeling so bad about it. At the moment, I, I think he'll be back, though, like the upside for Cam Fowler to be a 45 point player is still there. It's not his fault that Anaheim sucks and more often than not is weathering shot attempts against than creating shot attempts for. So that works against Cam Fowler. And you have to consider that with any Anaheim Ducks player you want on your lineup. Yeah. OK, you just bumped it from 40 to 45 now. And <laughs> I just think I like 
he is part of the reason, right? Like he's quarterbacking a power play that's not scoring any goals. So I think he gets some of the blame. And yeah, maybe he could be a 40-point player on a Ducks team that scores like as an average NHL team. But I feel like on a Ducks team that seems like maybe one of the worst scoring teams in the league, at least that's what they've looked like over the past few weeks. I can't imagine Cam Fowler is getting more than like 30, 35 point pace rest of the season. So I'd be okay to let him go. Brian is a little bit more optimistic. Uh, since we're talking trades, let's, I guess, take a second to go away from what are we on injuries? I guess who even knows at this point once we're an hour and a half into the show. Uh, but let's go dig into this Nino Niederreiter for Victor Rask swap that Carolina and Minnesota pulled off. So this is a talk for maybe deeper leagues. Nino has been a half point per game guy so far on the season. He played his first game with the Hurricanes on Friday. He lined up with Justin Williams and Greg McKegg and he had no points, but four shots on goal. So that's pretty good. Carolina's playing Edmonton tonight. So maybe by the time you listen to this, you'll have another day of data for Nino Niederreiter. We had Ryan Bolta on our show last week from TSN, and he was great, by the way. Great job, Ryan. Uh, And he suggested that Michael Furland is likely to get traded at the deadline. And as we all know, he's been the one occupying the top line spot with Sebastian Ajo and Tavo Teravine. And so if he gets traded, that would open up a potential spot for Nino Niederreiter. That could be a nice landing spot for a guy. You know, anytime you're playing with Ajo, you know you're going to potentially get points. So I guess my two questions to you, Brian, are do you think Niederreiter is worth adding now? Like, even though you might have to wait a month and he might not get traded, like even just for where he is now playing with like Justin Williams, do you think Niederreiter could do better than this half point per game pace he's put up so far? And also, would you consider making a speculative ad just because you might expect him to play with Ajo at some point in the future? So first off, I, I, we're all familiar with the name Nino Niederreiter, but I don't think anyone's really kept tabs on what his career has been so far. Keep in mind that he has just one good year on his resume. It's when he had 25 goals and 32 assists for 57 points in a full season with Minnesota. That was a couple of years back in 2016-17. Not a coincidence that that season saw Niederreiter reach a career high 14 power play points and 186 shots on goal. He also got to play with Eric Stahl most of the season. Outside of 2016-17 though, Niederreiter has been like a 40-ish point middle six player. Is there hope for offensive upside from him? Absolutely. Is it a lock? Uh, No, not a lock, especially if he doesn't rise above the second line, especially if he doesn't end up with a scoring centerman. Um, He does make a good depth add for the Canes, though, and and certainly makes an okay stream as we see where he might settle into the lineup. But he's not a lock for the top line, with or without Furlan there. Though you do wonder if acquiring Niederreiter was to give the Canes an option other than Svechnikov or like Brock McGinn on that top line. So it seems like a a pretty good get for Carolina just to have another piece. They can move around in their top nine and see where he can be best utilized. If you want to own him uh, in speculation that he could end up on the top line, sure, go for it. But he's not somebody that you need to like really rush to unless you see that he's already on the top line. Right. And also he could get on the top line. You could spend all your fab to get him. Then he could be away. Then he could be moved away like by the next game. You know, Svechnikov was on the top line for a couple of games and it didn't last. But yeah, I guess it makes sense to move a center. Maybe this is a sign that Jordan Stahl will be back soon. I don't know. He's still been gone with, I think, a concussion for a long time now. Uh, so on the other side of that trade, we had Victor Rask go to Minnesota. Also, I mentioned that Pontus Aberg was sent to Minnesota and both of them actually played together on a line with Zach Parise yesterday and they assisted on Parise's first period goal. Uh, Victor Rask and Pontus Aberg were also placed on separate power play units. Aberg got on the top one with Granlin, Parisi, and Eric Stahl. And then Rask was on the other power play unit, which got a decent amount of ice time. So do you think either of these guys, Rask and Aberg, do you think either of them are worth watching on the wild, potentially grabbing? Minnesota actually plays Monday and Wednesday of next week. And like I said, there are some teams that don't play at all 
next week in the three games of NHL action before the All-Star break. So Minnesota is a good team to stream from. Would you be looking to maybe stream in one of Victor Rask or Pontus Aberg to get those two games next week? And if so, which one? <laughs> I don't know which one, to be honest. But the fact that we were interested in Charlie Coyle and Luke Cunning, I think is how his name is pronounced, like as stream options means that uh, just to be consistent, uh, those guys were playing with Parisi. So if Aberg and Rask are playing with Parisi, Kind of interested in them too. Not reaching very far from them, but in a deep league, yeah, they're worth a stream if they give you a couple extra games played. Okay. But yeah. like also don't expect, like I don't want to make them seem like they're going to help you long-term. These guys are probably going to be non-factors for most of the rest of the season. I mean, if they stick with Parise and if Aberg sticks on the top power play, you'd imagine he'll do something, but that's not a guarantee. So I don't think you have to jump on him just for that big if. Let's see how things shake out over these next couple of games. Then after the All-Star break, maybe we'll check back in on the Wild on the next episode of the one after that. Uh, a couple more injuries. Uh, Neil Pionk and Tyler Johnson have both missed some time. And they're both on different teams, by the way, uh, the Rangers and Tampa. I'm just bringing them both up just to say that I don't really have anything to say about either of them because they're both expected to be back after the All-Star break. So just for, you know, could, just for completion's sake, I'm going to mention these injuries, but nothing to say because I think they're going to be back by the time we're next doing the show. Though I should mention that with uh, Tyler Johnson injured, Yanni Gourd has been playing. He finally got promoted back to the top six to play with Stamkos and Palat. And Alex Killorn got a spot with Kucherov and Braden Point. So those are both great spots for these players who generally aren't worth owning or haven't been for a while no guarantees that either will hold but maybe yanny gourd can put in a good audition back in the top six and hold that spot i think he got an assist in tampa's last game uh over on the rangers with pionk injured kevin shattenkirk had a power play assist yesterday he actually has four points in his last four games and like i don't even want to make it seem as if it's because pionk is injured because shattenkirk took over that top power play while pionk was still in the lineup so yeah i think shattenkirk at this point he's got to be back to being worth owning in most formats right like if you drafted him or if he was drafted in your league and then dropped because he sucked he's pretty much doing over the last stretch what you should have expected from him when he was drafted. So I think most people should be strongly considering adding Kevin Shattenkirk at this point. I think I might have said this last week, but I'm going to say it again because I still see him. Actually, let me check uh, Marcus's amazing spreadsheet here in real time. So Kevin Shattenkirk, only 27% owned in the uh, Yahoo. And Brian, you want to take a guess? Guess up plus or minus 50% of a couple divisions is Kevin Shattenkirk owned. Plus, for sure. Oh, not that much higher, though. 56% of couple divisions have Kevin Shattenkirk on a roster. Maybe after listening to this episode, uh, he'll get added in a few more, though. He's one of those guys, or the Rangers are one of those teams that doesn't play at all next week. So if you add him, you're going to have to wait to get a game from him, but it might be worth it, you know, at some point when the Rangers actually play another game. Brian, I made a really dumb prediction that Philip Heedle wouldn't score again in January after he scored last Saturday. I don't know why I said that, but it was his first goal since December 18th. So I just thought, you know, the, the average time on ice people, we have a Facebook chat with them and they love the Rangers so much. So sometimes fun to poke. And I was like, yeah, enjoy that goal. We'll see you next month. Uh, so then, and then I think I said that I would do a Philly heat, which is where you drink a microwaved beer after he scores. You, you chug a microwave beer. I said like, if he scores again in this month, I'll do a Philly heat. And of course, I lit a spark under him. He scored in each of his last two games. He actually has five points in his last six. Uh, Brian, how many more Philly heats do you think us and the average time on ice crew are going to have to do for the rest of the season? Is he someone we should be watching for a second half breakout after the all-star break? Well, what's a nice sign from Hedl lately is that he has 22 shots in his last 10 games, including 12 shots in his last four. So that's good to see. What's not good to see is that he seems to be playing decidedly outside the top six with Ryan Strom and Jesper Fast as his line mates. So like, he's a cool player, has some future upside, but I don't 
know that a breakout is imminent for him. Like we need to see him enter the top six and hold average ice times above 60 minutes per game. Uh, neither of which he's managed to do consistently at this point. So I, Look, I don't know how many more goals he's going to get the rest of the season. I don't think it's going to be a lot. But Elon, I think it's safe to say he's going to get at least one more. Okay, so we'll have some Philly heats in our future. And by the way, if you follow us on Twitter, at Keeping Carlson, every time, or right now, Brian's done one, I've done one. We've retweeted the Average Time on Ice crew who have done some. So you should be getting checking out our Twitter and seeing our Philly heat videos as we're doing our best to artistically show you how we chug our microwaved or heated up beers. Not microwave for Brian's case, because he, of course, doesn't own a microwave, as you must all know, if you know anything about Brian. Uh, one thing in, in Heedle's favor to potentially get into that top six is the Rangers are supposedly going to be sellers at the trade deadline. Zuccarello, you know, he's like, this is the time for the Rangers to trade Matt Zuccarello. Like we always talk about selling high on the podcast. Like the Rangers should be making calls right now. Zuccarello is on an amazing hot streak. He's getting goals or points every single game. So yeah, they should try to ship him off for like a million draft picks. And maybe that would open up a spot for Heedle right alongside Zibanejad. If you recall, Brian, Heedle was playing with Zibanejad for a little bit back in 2018. And a spot could definitely be opened up for him if a trade is made in the uh, next month or so. Okay, let's uh, end the show with a lightning round. I always say that, but then we go for another half hour. But like, I want to get into a bit of a lightning round of hot streaks and cold streaks and start on the Islanders. Josh Bailey is on a really nice run. He has three goals and two assists in his last six games. That was actually going into today's game. I believe he got in another assist today. Man, like, I don't know. Like, I think I still have it right. Like, he's still not on the top power play. He's still not taking shots. I'm still not going to regret having dropped him in the cupful, the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League, which, by the way, we got called out on for talking about too much on the podcast, but whatever. I dropped him, and I feel not bad about it, and I want the world to know, but Brian, am I being delusional here? Did I just mess up, and I just don't want to admit it? Like, he, like these three goals came on six shots before today. I haven't even looked to see how many shots uh, Bailey had today, but I, I'm going to guess it wasn't many. I'm, I'm bringing it up right now. Josh Bailey had... Two shots. It's actually a lot more than I was expecting. So I don't know. He had an assist. He's good. Like, okay, tell me, how, how dumb a, was it that I dropped him? Let me know. He had a power play assist to Elon as a second, that on the, yeah. a, on a, the a second unit. Yeah. That, and on a second unit that has Cal Clutterbuck on it for whatever reason. So good for Josh Bailey for getting in on that. Cal Clutterbuck, what a weird game. Uh, Chad Johnson in net for the Ducks and the Islanders get two goals from Cal Clutterbuck and a, and a third from Leo Komarov assisted by Devin Taves and Scott Mayfield. Like, what a bizarre scoring line the whole game. I I feel like it was, like, given your roster, Elon, Elon has a very strong roster. He wants everybody to know. Uh, So dropping Josh Bailey was forgivable, um, but Josh Bailey still has six points in his last seven games. So, uh, not like, I feel like you should have gotten something for him or traded someone else on your roster. To drop him for nothing seems wasteful. I still think, well, I guess at this point, maybe don't drop him. Try to sell him. It's not going to, he's, he's <laughs> scoring on too many of his shots and he's not on the top power play and he's not taking a lot of shots. This is not the type of guy that's worth depending on in fantasy. He's going to let you down. Anyone who holds on to him, he's going to let you down. I, I have a feeling. Okay, well, I'll move on. Uh, people should probably reacquaint themselves with Jordan Everly at this point. He's been fantastic over the past month. Five goals and five assists in his last 13 games going into today. Only owned in 26% of Yahoo leagues. Even though he's been on the top power play and playing with the even more hot Anders Lee. So yeah, I feel like Jordan Everly might be a really good second half bounce back candidate. Like I said, Philip Hedl before, but I think a more likely second half bounce back candidate is right here in Jordan Everly. 
Uh, so the thing with Eberly is he is having a really confounding season, actually. Uh, Eberly's had good line mates all the way through this year. Uh, similar time on ice to last year. Uh, increased power play one role. Uh, gets to play on the top unit this year. Has no terribly unfair percentages. And that's all amounted to what's shaping up to be the worst season of Eberly's career so far, as he's now, with this run, just on a 43-point pace for the season. So the thing is, when I'm looking at a second-half bounce-back candidate, I'm looking for the guys who are really snake-bitten, and Eberly doesn't really fit that profile. Yes, he has a lower IPP at all strengths than he should have, but that's like the most minor of snake bites in the big, like that's the only one and it's not a huge one even. So it can't totally account for losing 15 points or so on his point paces of the last three years. Again, 43 point pace for Eberly right now when he's generally been in the mid fifties the last little while, especially with his power play time on the top unit. It doesn't make sense. Like Eberly is shooting a little less. So I guess that's hurting him a little bit, but he should have been doing better than he's been doing all the way along. So I, I don't know. I'm having a really hard time coming to grips with this Elon because everything looks like Everly should be having a successful season. He isn't, but that's not because of any unfortunate variance. So I don't know if he's a second half bounce back candidate. Maybe this is the best he can do with such great deployment. Well, like I said, he's hotter lately. Like he had 10 points in 13 games going into today. So maybe we're already seeing the bounce back and finally his numbers are normalizing. So I guess we'll have to see if he can continue it. Right now, I'm seeing on Marcus's amazing spreadsheet. I'll stop calling it Marcus's amazing spreadsheet. We need to have an actual name for the spreadsheet. For now, I'll just call it the Marcus spreadsheet. Uh, Josh Bailey's owned in 100% of Cupful Leagues. Jordan Eberle only owned in 68.75% of Cupful Leagues. Hey, you Josh Bailey owners out there, I'd swap him for Eberle. Well, wow you're saying. just you just want it you're just trying to get everyone to validate your decision to drop josh bailey you've always hated eberly too so i couldn't see you actually doing that uh like look eberly having a good second half is a reasonable bet to be making i'm just saying that like everything seems to be set up for him to do that it's just weird that he'll probably just be in the same position as the first half which was not impressive so i think he can do better i just don't see like He's not getting screwed over, is all I'm trying to say. Okay, we got it. Uh, A a guy who is doing really well, since we're on the Islanders, I feel like we haven't brought him up enough this season. Matt Barzell is pretty much on track to repeat his amazing rookie season. He's got 17 points in his last 14 games going into today. Patron Bobby posted just recently, he added Barzell out of free agency just recently. How did did you do that? Amazing. Uh, So he's really good. I just wanted to bring it up. He's not at a point per game yet, but he's approaching it quickly. Yeah, everybody forgot about Matt Barzell after he had a really rough first couple weeks of the season. Everyone said that Tavares leaving ruined him and ruined the Islanders and everything was uh, like over and forget Barzell. And uh, well, they were wrong. So way to go, Matt Barzell, for fighting through a a rough start. And that's crazy. Like He can't be a free agent in too many leagues. So we have no advice to give here, aside from keep him if you have him. Yeah, he had uh, a stretch where he was taking a lot of shots also, but it looks like he's back to getting zero, one, or two shots lately. So yeah, you can't have everything with Matt Barzil, but he's doing pretty well, or he's doing amazingly well. Uh, by the way, since we're on the Islanders, also another shutout for Robin Lehner today was against the Ducks, which apparently is an easy team to shut out, but he's now 15-7 and seven as a 930 save percentage. 
I wonder at what point we start talking about Robin Leonard as a potential sleeper Vesna candidate at this point. Like, there's not that many goalies that have been consistent all year through. And that includes Leonard, who I guess was not great for a really short stretch. I know he doesn't have the number of games played because he was splitting stars with Thomas Grice for a while. But at this point, he's the for sure starter and he's doing amazing. Obviously, he'll have to keep it up. But I'm just going to put it out in the universe. Robin Leonard is... He's tracking in that direction at this point. Another good month like this, this past month, and I think he'll be in the conversation. For anybody who is smirking or scoffing at that uh, suggestion that Robin Lehner is a Vesna candidate at this point, he ranks second in the league in save percentages, 928 so far behind only. Elon, can you guess? Uh, I am not ready for this. Pecker, no, Rene's but like, All the people that were doing good are struggling. Like Vasilevsky? No, I don't know. Jack Campbell. No, okay, well, whatever. <laughs> didn't, didn't he come in, come in that, to get that, blown up yesterday? That didn't bring him down? Yeah, well, I, the, the Kings were getting entirely blown up, so it was, it was a team effort there. Uh, Vasilevsky's third, though, so good job, followed by Freddie Anderson. So uh, Robin Leiner having a fantastic season. What he needs to legitimately contend are more games played. Like, he's just played about half his team's games. He's going to need to play at least two-thirds to be seriously considered. Uh, but fantastic, fantastic comeback year so far for Laner. Yeah, and I think he's been playing more than two-thirds of the games for the past month or so. So all they need to do is just keep doing what they've been doing. Uh, another goalie uh, that I want to give a shout-out to, Carter Hart has been really great since being called up. It was looking like he was coming up into this terrible situation in Philly, a situation where he was like surely going to just struggle and suffer and his whole like deployment or what's the word development would be like, you know, totally hindered by him coming into this tire fire. But no, like Carter Hart has been great after his 33 save five to win over Montreal yesterday. Hart is six, five and one with a nine eighteen save percentage, which I think is well above what anyone was expecting from him as a 20 year old you know, coming into this situation. Plus he's trending up. He's got three wins in his last four games. Brian Elliott's timeline continues to get delayed. Who knows when he'll be back. It's starting to seem to me like there's a good chance we'll be watching starter heart for the rest of the season. And maybe for the next five, six, eight, ten 10 years for Philly with the way he's going. So congrats to everyone who sniped him up when they had the chance, when it was announced that he was called up. I still remember I was in a meeting, Brian, and I came out of my meeting at work and Carter Hart was like called. I saw the news that he was called up and then I checked all my leagues and he had already been added. It was very frustrating. This guy's looking like a real gem. Of course, now that I've said it, he's probably going to go on a long losing streak because that's how goalies seem to go this season. But throwing it out there, Brian, I got, I got to throw a crazy hypothetical question at you. Say Markstrom, Jacob Markstrom gets injured in the next game. And it's going to be Carter Hart and Thatcher Demko being the starting goalies on their teams for the rest of the season. Who would you rather have on a fantasy team? I am going to go Carter Hart. He has more games under his belt so far, and he's looking decent. He's actually pretty much meeting average NHL goalie standards, which is impressive for a 20-year-old rookie. So good for Carter Hart, of course. Why you might prefer Demko, even if Demko plays fewer games, uh, he might get to play them on a team who is struggling uh, a little less in Vancouver than the Flyers are. So that that's the trade-off you're making there. I will go Carter Hart, although it might only be short-term because I, I know, Elon, you said Brian Elliott's timeline is getting delayed. Uh, he's skating. He's not back. He should have been back by now, but he's skating. I'm curious to see how close he is to being ready after the All-Star break. 
Yeah, that's true. So we'll have to keep waiting for Brian Elliott. He might be back soon. He might not be back for this, this season. That's the kind of year it's been for the Philly goalies. Uh, did you see, by the way, Brian, that Philly ran five forwards on the power play yesterday, which is obviously terrible news for Shane Gossesbeher, who, like, the only reason we were still holding on to him was because, of, hey, he's quarterbacking that great top power play, but he wasn't in the last game. And in fact, he only played 13 minutes and 47 seconds, which you would think, I'm just going to continue saying bad news about Gossesbeher, but yet somehow he got two even strength assists. So I don't know, like, there's no way this is like the indication that he's about to bounce back, right? Like that must just be lucky that he happened to get two assists at even strength playing 13 minutes and 47 seconds. If he continues with this deployment, I think that he's just things are going to get even worse for him or stay the same as they've been all year. If for some reason you have someone in your league who like thinks, oh, this is it. This is the moment where Ghost Bear like bounces back and gets back to what he was. These, these two assists are going to be the catalyst. I think mean, you trade him to that guy right now because I'm very concerned about this five forwards on the power play for Philly. Though that said, like that could change any day now. Absolutely. The Phillies obviously got to try something to fix their broken power play, which has been the pride of the team for so many years. So I I don't know what the problem is. If I did, maybe I would be their head coach or maybe I wouldn't be because I I don't have any sort of resume to, to have that job, but uh, Gossis bear obviously in bad shape. So yeah, if you own him, you're still just stuck owning him or you can start seeking out a believer in him. Maybe a Gossis bear for Jonathan Marsh's deal would be a potential move you can make. I I doubt it. I doubt it. <laughs> I also doubt it. Wishful throw- thinking for Gossis Bear owners. Throw in a draft pick, maybe, and we'll see. Uh, aside from Ghost Bear, though, uh, most of the Flyers are making their fantasy owners happy right now. They're happy that they held on while these players were struggling. Like Couturier, JVR, Voracek are all on great runs right now. Even Wayne Simmons has four points in his last three games. And an announcement just came out that Simmons is either going to get signed or traded before the deadline. So something is going to happen with Wayne Simmons. Right now, he's doing well. Uh, you know, Carter Hart is doing well, like I said. I'm going to throw a, a take at you, Brian. You'll let me know if it's a hot take or not. I think Philly's going to do better in the second half. I think maybe they'll be among the top half of the league, the top 15 teams in the league next season. Is that a hot take even? I don't know. What do you think about that? I think that Philly and I would say Arizona are my two teams that I think are going to have the strongest second halves compared to their first halves. So you're saying that the Flyers are going to be better than half the league over the rest of the season you know, at the start of the year, I would have said, yeah, top 15 is a reasonable guess for where Philly should be. I'm not convinced. Like, they have a chance at it. It's going to be a bit of a fight, though. I liked your St. Louis take last week better than this one, both for spiciness and for legitimacy. So uh, good job on the Philly take, but I I don't know. I don't, like, on what basis are you saying this? Actually, yeah. I don't know, just because everyone's doing well now. (laughs) Their goaltending has been so bad. Finally, Carter, I guess I'm basing it mainly on them having a goaltender now. I feel like they've always just been waiting to have a goaltender who's good, and I think they have it now in Carter Hart. But yeah, Yeah. you're right. Yeah, so maybe they do. Maybe like It's hard to say. He's he's playing average, but they still need to protect him reasonably well, and they still need to score goals. They have a lot to figure out that we every week we just say, well, we're we're waiting to see if Philadelphia can figure it out, and they're running out of room. Uh, But if you're just going to count the last 35 games, Elon, maybe they've got a shot. Arizona, I think, is a longer shot to finish amongst the top half of the league over the rest of the season. I saw you gloat to somebody before I arrived to the show tonight that you were going to get me to trash Darcy Kemper without even mentioning his name. Uh, And you're right. Like Arizona has no apparent goalie. 
So, and they also don't seem to be a very strong team. They don't seem to have really figured out the best way to win the, the Corsi battles and to win the expected goals battles. So for that reason, I can't see them being a top 15 team the rest of the way. Ah, you fell into my trap, even <laughs> though you knew it was there. I say I'm even higher on Arizona than I am on Philly. Like this happened last year. They weren't able to score goals the first half of the year. And then all of a sudden in the second half, they were like dominating. And you say they don't have a goalie. Darcy Kemper has been so, so good. Like on the season now, they, by the way, the game's over. Arizona beat the Leafs four to two. Darcy Kemper stopped 25 of 27 on the season. Now Kemper has a nine fourteen save percentage, which I think is above average on the year. If you just go over the past like two months, He's at 912. That's like, but lately, so good. 920 over the past month, 926 over the past couple of weeks. Like Kemper is just rolling right now. Arizona is looking good. And yeah, I think that Kemper could do the job. And I guess we'll see. Obviously, I'm not saying he's going to be amazing all year long. He's going to go on hot and cold stretches, but I think he's decent enough. And I think this Arizona team is looking solid to me. And I'm actually more excited about them than Philly. So we'll see. You're more excited about Arizona than Philly? I think so. Yeah. I don't know. I, I'm really like remembering like this year. Yeah. Like I think that Arizona is going to have a really strong second. They've already started it, right? Like they've won. If you look at their past, what is it like? Okay. They beat Toronto. They lost to Pittsburgh yesterday, three to two. That's a very close game against a really good team. They beat the Sharks. They lost to Calgary, but that's because Aiden Hill played and he was terrible. And before that, they beat Edmonton and Vancouver and the Rangers. Like Arizona is on a run right now of winning at least as many games as they lose. And they've actually won like a uh, four of their last six games. And I don't know, they're beating some good teams. Like they beat Toronto, they beat San Jose. I don't know. They they came close to beating Pittsburgh. I'm liking Arizona right now, and I'm liking Darcy Kemper, and I'm liking Clayton Keller, who I got in the couple for cheap. You know, my my trap was that you were going to praise Darcy Kemper this show without me even bringing him up. I guess I sort of did, but you started this whole thing. I don't see, I don't, obviously, I don't see what you see in Darcy Kemper. I don't see what you see in Arizona either. Well, we saw last season, Arizona was looking terrible. And then at the end of the year, they crushed it. And I think they're on their, on track to do it again. The smiling so man. I saw things. I saw things then that encouraged me to, to agree with you more then than I do this year. I feel like they're stuck in neutral. Well, not over the past six games. Smiling <laughs> man in the chat room here says Arizona plays hard. That's all. Sometimes, Brian, that's all it takes. You play hard, good things happen. Throw the puck at the net. Uh, Okay, let's go to a team that we could both agree have not been playing hard lately, or at least not getting the results. Washington, what's going on? Their loss to Chicago today was their fifth loss in a row, and it wasn't just a loss. They got destroyed by Chicago. They're not even supposed to be a good team. In the wake of this, Evgeny Kuznetsov, who you suggested that you'd rather have over Mike Hoffman, I believe you said, Kuznetsov was playing on the third line today with Dmitry Yaskin and Brett Connolly. Uh, the other lines are like Ovi with Oshie and Backstrom and Wilson with Verana and Lars Eller. This, like, honestly, this team is looking pretty shallow. When you when you start moving people around like that, like it doesn't look like the deep team that we usually think about when we think of the Washington Capitals. But t- discussing Kuznetsov specifically, just four points in his last 10 games. Like, and now if he's going to be playing on the third line, I guess this begs our classic question. Should his owners be worried or is this just primo by low time? I guess you've already kind of answered that you think it's by low time, but I'd obviously be a little bit concerned if he's playing in the bottom six, but I'd imagine you're going to say that's not going to last and he'll be back with Ovechkin or at least like Oshi in the second half of the season or like after the all-star break. Things aren't going well in Washington right now. And when that happens, the lines go in a blunder And that's why Kuznetsov is finding himself on the outside of the top six. But the thing is, wherever Kuznetsov is, uh, that line has a is a legit scoring threat. I mean, he has Brett Connolly with him, who 
is okay as a complimentary scoring player. So I would actually say instead of getting so down on Kuznetsov, how about Brett Connolly getting to play with Evgeny Kuznetsov? Uh, but yes, Kuznetsov himself not setting the world on fire lately. Only seven points in his last 16 games. Only one goal on his last 46 shots. And that's been a trend all year for Kuznetsov, really. He's scoring on just 1.5% of his 5-on-5 shots when he's shot 12% at 5-on-5 over the last two years, which is why I am going to call Kuznetsov a primo by-low candidate here. Everything still looks really good for Kuznetsov under the hood, and I think it's still very fair to expect that he'll get back up to an 85-90 point pace the rest of the season. So if you can, get in there, get him now. Yeah, I'm with you. Like, obviously, I brought all that up to say that he's slumping. But yeah, I do think he'll get back in the top six. And Kuznetsov is too good to be doing this poorly for long. I think he'll be just fine. By the way, Brian, uh, Nino Niederreiter scored a goal today for Carolina. So another one of our in-game updates is currently 2-0 for Carolina. And actually, it was assisted by Aho. So we're going to have to check these lines. Maybe before the end of the show, let's see if the updated lines are updated. And we'll see if already Niederreiter is neat. I'm just going to call him Nido Rider and put it all together. Is that okay? But we'll see if he's yeah. actually already gotten to the top line. So he has. I can actually update you. So Michael Furland uh, looks like he was a late scratch because of an upper body injury. So Nido Rider is playing on the top line with Aho and Justin Williams and has a goal already tonight. Damn, with Justin Williams also. Okay, so we'll check these li- check these lines. Uh, uh, exercise for the listener. After you're done listening to the show, check out what the final lines were for this game against, who is it, Edmonton, I think? Okay, another yes. slumping star. So we're talking about Kuznetsov. Uh, we've been getting a lot of questions about Jamie Benn. He had an assist yesterday versus the Jets, but that was only his second point in his last seven games. Brian, what is going on with Jamie Benn? He's now down to a 58-point pace on the season. Is this just bad luck? Or is this just the new Ben now? Like more of a 60s point guy than like a 70 plus point guy? He was playing, by the way, on a line with Blake Como, uh, the guy who I mentioned was from Rancho Cucamonga. <laughs> he, he was playing on a line with Como and Radic Faxa yesterday, which I can't imagine is going to help Jamie Ben break out of this funk. No, it's not going to help him break out of this funk. It's not going to help anyone or anything or any team to be playing Jamie Ben down on, well, whatever, away from. T- Tyler Sagan, because that's all Dallas has, yet obviously they're they're unhappy with both those players, and it's showing in Jamie Benn's ice time. He's seeing just 18 and a half minutes per game, which sounds okay, but it's actually his lowest average time on ice since his third year in the NHL, and it sounds low for sure when I tell you that Jamie Benn, seeing 18 and a half minutes this year, has seen 20 minutes of ice time per game in three of the four seasons before this one. Um, it's not only ice time that the problem is, though. Uh, he has some own uh, some of his own problems, lower five on five shot rates, but he also has a low power play IPP, uh, and is still managing to have similar uh, individual expected goals rates compared to previous years. So I don't think Jamie Ben is a fifty eight point player. I also don't think that Jamie Ben is an eighty or ninety point player. I think we can still expect to see like a seventy point Jamie Ben. But that's assuming he gets to play with Tyler Sagan and he isn't just maligned by his coach and team the rest of the season. It stinks for him to be playing away from Tyler Sagan. Dallas seems very messy right now. And I'm really curious to see where they plan to go from here as an organization going big on Ben and Sagan and surrounding them with no talent. Obviously, didn't work. I don't know where they go from here. If they still try and surround those two with talent 
or if they move on from those two, it'll be an interesting offseason, I think, in Dallas. Yeah, it, it is kind of crazy, like how they have so few good players that have come up recently. Obviously, Haskinen now, they just drafted. They signed Radulov. But, like, what is the rest of this forward court? Like, it doesn't make sense. Like, why, how could they, I guess Nichushkin was a bust. I don't even know who any of these other players are. Like, why why haven't they drafted good players that have gotten to be valuable players for Ben and Sagan to play with? Dallas has blown their drafts infamously. Like, they have one of the worst drafting records of the last 10 years. And, of course, it's showing. And Joe Neuendijk was the culprit and still hated amongst many Star fans, Stars fans for getting this bad drafting ball rolling years ago. Yeah. Sad. Oh, well, I'd be worried if I was a Jamie Ben owner. It's very concerning to see him like him and Kuznetsov both playing with nobodies and it's showing. Okay. Uh, Nashville, uh, Craig Smith has reminded us why he's never one to stick on a fantasy team all season. Like after that amazing run that we talked about a couple of weeks ago, he's now pointless in six games. He's had three one shot games during that span. So forget about Craig Smith, though. Nashville does is one of those rare teams that has two games over the next three days before the All-Star break. So you might want to stream a Nashville Predator. I don't know. Maybe it is Craig Smith. Maybe you could expect that he could do something in these two games. Or maybe do you go with, like, to go really out of nowhere, like uh, Nick Benino is kind of on fire for the Predators. He had a goal and an assist yesterday versus Florida, which brought him to four goals and two assists in his last five games. Uh, so yeah, is Benino maybe the Nashville stream to ride if you want to grab one of their players before the all-star break, or would you go with someone more like Smith or Fiala, who's, you know, not doing so well now, but are more likely to score over the long run? Yeah, Smith and Fiala, both so up and down. Fiala, if you've owned him, uh, hasn't been helping you. And we know why he's consistently dropped by whatever team streams him. Also, Fiala has just one point in his last four games. And he wasn't even taking shots till he took five against Florida on Saturday night. And who doesn't take five shots against Florida? Uh, he's seen his time on ice in the 11 to 12 minute range a couple times over the last few games. So yeah, Kevin Fiala... Like he and Craig Smith are still the best stream options available. You mentioned Nick Benino, Elon. He had four goals on his last eight shots. So that won't continue. I'd still prefer Smith or Fiala. One guy I streamed in recently and got, I think, lucky on was Colton Sissons. He was playing on the top line uh, for a little bit and seeing second power play units time. He had three goals and three assists for six points on a recent five game point streak. But his three goals came on four shots. So he doesn't take a lot of shots, um, but he does throw a couple hits and also picks up a block here and there. So if he's playing on the top line, this is still Colton Sissons. You might be interested in trying to stream him in. So uh, I'd like him more than Benino, but still less than Fiala and Craig Smith. Okay, that seems fair. Like It's probably a shot in the dark if you're streaming in one of these Nashville guys that's not a top liner. Brian, by the way, did you know, uh, you don't know this. I'll let you know, let the listeners know. I think Nick Benino is the NHL player that I have the closest connection to. I have a close friend who's friends with his sister, Ali Benino. Wow, get him on the show. I, do you think, I, people have told me before, like, oh, you should try to get a player on the show. Like, what exactly would we talk to these NHL players about? Like, just ask them, how's your PDO Corsi going? Yeah, we'll just add, we'll we'll just ask them how it's going. Try and get like insights into their daily lives and the daily lives of their teammates that then we can then really stretch into some method of fantasy analysis. I guess it would be fun to ask about like how early like when do you learn about a line change? Like you once you once wanted to have Bernie Nichols on the show so you could ask him about fantasy hockey. <laughs> like this is a guy who played what, 
what, 30 years ago? There was a time where you were really excited about that opportunity. Okay, but I mean, to be, it wasn't out of nowhere. Like someone messaged, again, it was like, do you want to have Bernie Nichols on the show? And it, it didn't work out, unfortunately. So we're still waiting for that <laughs> anticipated Bernie Nichols interview. Uh, <laughs> Patron Jimmy Nguyen asked us to talk about Mike Green and Gustav Nyquist and how can we say no to a valued patron of our podcast. He asked what's their production going to look like for the rest of the season. So Mike Green had a goal and assist on Thursday versus Calgary, bringing him to 19 points in 27 games. Uh, That's a 58-point pace. And uh, Detroit played today. And I don't have the numbers in front of me, but let's, let's take a quick look here and see how Mike Green and Gustav Nyquist did. Looks like neither of them did anything but yeah both of them really hot right now and actually i said that without even looking i just kind of assumed that they haven't yeah i'm looking very okay no no points today for nyquist or mike green no one cares elon come on keep it going uh nyquist is on fire 11 points his last 11 games before today playing with larkin uh which is such a great spot and he's for sure taking advantage overall on the season nyquist now has 42 points in 50 games pretty much a 70 point pace so brian i said mike green on a 58 point pace and Gustav Nyquist on a 70-point pace. Who's the more likely one to maintain their pace moving forward for the rest of the season between these two? I'm going to say they they look... This this might sound like a cop-out. They both look equally likely. If I had to pick a guy, I might lean Nyquist just because you can see a clear uptick in what he's been doing on the power play, why he has so many more points per 60 minutes there. Uh, he, he's taking a whole lot more shot attempts. Uh, on the power play than he really uh, ever has in his career. So that's great news for him. Mike Green, one of the reasons he's doing well is because he's got a nice on-ice shooting percentage after a few years of awful ones with Detroit. And he himself also is taking more shot attempts for 60 minutes at even strength than he ever has since leaving Washington. So both Green and Nyquist playing decidedly more offensive games. And also, like we can't forget that Detroit has a legit scoring threat on their team. I mean, I know they've had Henrik Zetterberg for a couple years, but it was like declining old man Henrik Zetterberg. Now they have Dylan Larkin really flourishing, coming into his own, leading that offense. And I think that rising tide floats all ships, if that's how the idiom goes. Sure. And like on one side, you've got the Tyler Bertuzzi and Anthony Mantha ships who sometimes get to play with Larkin. So it's hard to depend on them. But Gustav Nyquist is someone who's been floating alongside Larkin for pretty much the whole season. And it doesn't seem like that's going to change. So yeah, looking good for both of them. I'm surprised by you said Mike Green is going to stick with his 58 point pace. That's really great for everyone who added him when he was injured. That would be amazing (laughs) if he could do that. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna dial that one back a little bit when you say it out loud again. Uh, so I'm gonna say Nyquist, like Nyquist, we talked about like a month ago, and or maybe even longer. And we were, I was really surprised. And I'm like, Gustav Nyquist can keep this up. Like that's gonna happen. Um, Mike Green, yeah, I wouldn't say 58 points is reasonable, but uh, 45, 50 would be successful for him. So let's keep our expectations low, and we'll be forever happy with Mike Green. Yeah, and of course we have to mention that we're talking point pace here because I'll be very surprised if Mike Green could actually stay healthy for the rest of the season. That would be great in its yes. own right. Brian, let's end the show by going to Calgary. We gotta talk about Johnny Gaudreau, who's currently riding an 11-game point streak, which has brought him to be tied for second in the league's in scoring. He has 73 points in 50 games, only behind 
Kucherov, who has 78 points in 49 games. So 78 versus 73. And we're talking like 50 games. Like both of them are amazing, but I want to focus on Goudreau. Uh, the other players, by the way, who are in the 70 point club so far, McKinnon, Rantanen and McDavid. And that's it. And then Goudreau and Kucherov. Like, is Johnny Goudreau really this good? Like I looked back at my drafts from the beginning of the season, like in the couple in the tier two Ottawa division that I was in, like Goudreau was drafted 27th overall. Like this was such a steal. And actually the guy who drafted him got that was 27th. So that was the second last pick of the second round in the snake draft. The guy, so he also had second overall and he got Kucherov. So he's got the two leading scorers and that's why he's in first place in the league. So good job, Paul. Um, but yeah, is Johnny Goudreau this good? Like, if he could keep this up, this guy's going to go like top five next year and not at the end of the second round. Do you see Goudreau as like a top five fantasy option? Like if you were doing a draft right now and let's say you had third overall and McDavid and Kucherov were taken, would you consider taking Johnny Goudreau here? Like, especially if, you know, he's a winger, so you could take McKinnon, but he's only a center and you could take Ranton in, but I don't know. Like right now, Goudreau is just seeming like, and Brian, you traded for him recently in the couple. It's crazy. I don't know how you got him. I don't even feel like you paid that much. Like amazing job. Uh, it felt like I paid a lot at the time, but now it feels pretty good. Kim Fowler was one of the pieces I paid. So uh, yeah, it feels good. Johnny Kadir, the one thing that I can say about his season. So, well, okay. I can say his season's been incredible and amazing and way to go. Johnny Goudreau. Um, If I was to give you any indication that I want to dial back his 120 point pace right now, it would be because uh, in his last 17 games, he has 16 goals on 63 shots on goal. So that means he's scoring on a quarter of his shots. And if you're like, yeah, but he he cashes in on all those great power play opportunities, only two of those goals have come on the power play. So 14 even strength goals on probably somewhere around 50, 55 even strength shots, uh, which is an unsustainable shooting percentage. So look, Johnny Goudreau is going to regress a little to the point that he's not a top five picks. I don't think so. Elon, if I recall correctly, we called him for a 90 plus point season on the Almanac. Like we were really confident. We were so high on Johnny Goudreau. So it's not like uh, this is coming out of nowhere to us. A 120 point pace was beyond our wildest dreams for him. And I'm still not sure he can keep that up through the second half of the season, but he's incredible. I like, I don't know what you want me to say about him. He's amazing. Top five pick top five winger. Um, I don't know. I need a list of all the wingers in front of me, but absolutely deserves consideration for a top five winger in your fantasy draft. There are few players you want more in fantasy hockey right now than Johnny Gaudreau. Okay, I just wanted to know if there was any like glaring reasons why you think that he's not going to be able to keep this up. You say it's a bit of a high shooting percentage, so fine. He puts up a hundred point pace or hundred ten point pace instead of a hundred twenty point pace. Man, Calgary, if this team could get the goaltending, like this could be a contender this year. Though obviously we've it's, said this before, like it, Johnny Gaudreau. Just needs he only needs eleven more points to tie last season's total points. He had eighty four points in eighty games last season. Already up to seventy three. He's eleven points away and thirty games shy of last year's totals. That's insane. Yeah, he's he already has five gonna... more. He already has five more goals than all of last season. Yeah, with the pace he's on, it's going to take like just a couple. Well, not a couple weeks because the All Star right? You know, like seven, eight more games. He's going to get those eleven points most likely. Brian, just like Johnny Gaudreau, we've been flying ourselves, but now we are going to come down because it's the end of the show. So this has been a lot of fun. Thanks to everyone for listening to us. Ooh, 
Nino Niederreiter, another goal today, assisted by Aho. I wonder if he maybe even holds it. Has Furland just been bumped because of his illness? And now they're like, oh, I kind of like how Niederreiter is doing with Aho. So this is something to watch. But okay, I'm ending the show, Brian. No, but let's let's just say Niederreiter has risen from a speculative ad to like, you better go get him before this game ends, sort mm. of ad, right? I guess so. Oh, man. Well, okay. And as soon as we're done recording, I'm going to go and look into <laughs> doing that myself. But what was I saying? I was saying we're done. Thanks for listening. Tweeted us at Keeping Carlson. Let us know what you thought of the show. We always love to hear from you. Uh, if you didn't like the show, please let us know. Maybe even let us know on Twitter uh, before you let us know on iTunes with a review. But if you did like the show, we'd love a five-star review on iTunes, of course. Uh, we'd also love if you'd be so kind as to consider supporting us for $5 a month and get a bunch of perks by becoming a patron of Keeping Carlson. You could join the Facebook group. Brian, we've got to plan our monthly patron cast. That's, I guess, probably not going to be next week, but the week after where we go two hours of bonus content where we answer all the questions from the patrons. Uh, you get the weekly show notes, uh, you know, so and some other stuff too. So check it out, keepingcarlson.com slash patron and see if that's something that you might be interested in. You could buy Brian or I a cheap on-sale beer once a month doesn't seem like that much to ask i guess and by the way brian i'm behind on all of my podcasts so i'm like going through december at this point and every single podcast i listen to starts with like a whole two minute spiel about it's time to donate and they're asking for people to donate like lots of money we're not even asking for that much but okay i'll move on i know it well or you could just keep listening and not give us any money and we'll still love you very very much okay uh let's cue the outro music that was a long ramble i apologize brian why don't you go ahead and read us the credits all right, this episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast was presented by Dabra Hockey and powered by our patrons, including our newest one, Harmon P. Welcome, Harmon. This episode was researched with help from Dabra Hockey, Frozen Pool, Dabra Prospects, Corsica, Natural Stat Trek, Evolving Hockey, Charting Hockey, HockeyGoldies.org, Hockey Reference, Hockey Biz, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects, Roto World, and Yahoo! Great job, as always, Brian. And I'm looking forward to doing this all again next week. Until then, keep on keeping Carl Sun.